Good morning, everyone. It's Friday, March 1st, 2024. I'm Joel Dinell alongside Greg Cannon, and this is the All Elite Conversation Club podcast for PWTorch.com. Greg, how are you doing this morning? I am doing great, but not as great as you, because I'm still <laughs> I'm so jealous you are getting ready to go to Greensboro for should be one heck of a show, and uh, you know, I wish I was in your shoes. Well, like I said before, I will be I'll be sending some spoiler-free pictures during the show. I'm I'm pretty excited for it right now. I'm I'm just dealing with a little bit of a head cold that I hope that I can get through uh, before this Sunday. But I got a 6 a.m. flight to Charlotte on Sunday, and then I'm going from Charlotte to Greensboro. Um, I'm very excited for the show. I mean, I've I've been to a number of AEW TV shows and pay-per-views. And honestly, Greg, this is the one that I'm probably been the most excited for in a long, long time. Probably since, probably most excited for it since maybe like Forbidden Door, uh, 2022. I went to that okay. one in Chicago. You know, that one was a little bit of a downer just with some of the talent being pulled from it. But I mean, just as far as excitement level, this is right up there with any of the other shows that they put on. Yeah, and and that's coming from a young guy who didn't grow up watching Surfer Sting and all the you know the the all that. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm telling you, I wish you know a lot of a lot of the the people I read in the wrestling internet wrestling community and 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 stuff are all talking about oh I'm going I'm going I'm going I'm thinking oh man that would have been so cool yeah to go so I'm very uh, excited for you. Well, in advance of this pay-per-view, Tony Khan had his media call like he traditionally does, um, just taking some questions. I know that you listened to this call, Greg, but I just want to hit on some of the main points of this and just get any of your thoughts on the call. Um, he mostly, he mostly, you know, just talked about it. It's kind of speaking in genera- generalities. I mean, we've listened to these calls before. There's not a whole lot of depth that gets into. There's not a ton of breaking news with this stuff. Uh, but certainly he spoke about uh, the addition of Jennifer Pepperman uh, and how she's been at some of the recent shows and how she's going to be working on a number of storylines and not just um, not just specifically to one person, uh, Mercedes, when she comes in here, that she's going to be on uh, doing a number of things. He spoke very highly of Daniel Garcia. He talked very highly about Samoa Joe, talking about how he's a high quality champion uh, that anybody could ask for. He also touched on uh, some things, including the Meet Madness match, adding that uh, Miro and Keith Lee were not available. I know that Miro also added to this online, saying that he's been injured since September uh, and hasn't gotten that the injury addressed until January. So uh, clearly there's a lapse of communication between both both parties there. Um, he also talked about maybe could be expanding the pay-per-views from about nine to ten pay-per-views this coming year. I mean, certainly there's been rumors of more being added here uh, with the trademark recently of AEW Dynasty. So that that seems like that could that could possibly be a new uh, pay-per-view branding. But also, uh, Tony was very optimistic, um, probably the most optimistic he sounded in a while about uh, the media rights coming this year. And that kind of ties into next Wednesday, where he was talking about being excited, uh, being in the Atlanta area where they're going to be in Duluth, Georgia, where they're going to have new branding. They're going to have a new logo, um, really just trying to revamp things as as they are uh, you know, either finished a deal or getting close to the end of, of trying to get a new deal with WBD. Yeah, I listening to Tony when he does these uh, you know, before the pay-per-view calls, it's it's really a challenge to decipher 
what is the company line and what and and when he might slip a little bit and give you a little bit of information on something and so you know he was we were able to get like you had summed up very uh perfectly the the main points of it the little things that he kind of let slip um between all of the you know now i'm gonna go back and tell you what a you know happened at and the number of pay-per-views and how great it is for the company and why I did this and why I did that. And everyone thought that all out was the, one of the greatest pay-per-views in the history of the world. And all, you know, and all these, you know, things that you kind of have, if you've listened to him uh, in these things have heard a lot, um, you know, and then that's, and then you add the, uh, you know, some of the legitimate questions combined with the questions from people who are just, you know, you know, I'm so excited for the three-way for the championship and and this is going to be a banger and then he's like, "Yeah, you know, it's like, okay, you know, talk it up, it's fine." <laughs> the the I mean, the one substance, you know, at, at the end, the last question did have to do with um, you know, a uh sexual misconduct uh, and and their um their uh committee that they put together and all that to kind of following up on some questions because you don't get to you know talk to tony that often and it was a legitimate question that he did an okay job of answering you know he's done a poor job in the past he could have done a better job but i think he did an okay job of uh explaining where that that his committee you know he's got lawyers and brian danielson and his committee and they're you know there for any talent who has any sort of issue that they could come to them and they you know they want everyone to feel safe and all that stuff so that you know nothing really coming out of that that that's you know like like how he had handled it in the past or how triple h had handled the question in the last you know uh, a month ago so you know baby steps on that one yeah i i mean this we know what we're gonna get when we listen to these media calls and and same thing with these press conferences with tony that it's all gonna be very much um just promoting and pumping up the brand you know uh you try you try to look for those little nuggets of where you can get some real in more in-depth uh in the way that he's thinking about things or any sort of breaking news with that stuff but really i mean it's uh we, we've come to expect that it's just going to be more promotional stuff uh you know it, it's a lot of you know this is going to be our best pay-per-view our biggest show yet uh we we have heard uh, certainly there's reports and rumors out there that people are frustrated backstage because Tony keeps, you know, he's in promoter mode and he's, everything is always the best. And we're always on the, the verge of record breaking and these huge things. But in this sense, Greg, I really do feel that for, that he should be promoting revolution because it has been such a ticketed success so far that there's going to be over 16,000 people in for this event and so certainly as AEW is having woes in other ways um, just trying to pack people in for their weekly television shows um, if he's going to be on media call for this upcoming pay-per-view I think that um, it's definitely warranted to celebrate a lot of that success oh no doubt I mean this should be one hell of a show I mean, you know, you know they're going to pull out all the stops. They'll have probably some special, you know, nostalgic uh, figures from Sting's past. You know, Sting, this is your life type of thing. You know, at the at, at the end, at least some sort of special. You know, because they because they said you know this was Sting's final Dynamite uh, a couple days ago. You know, you're not going to have that Ric Flair retires. Then the next, you know, Raw they had this really big, you know, so long Ric Flair stuff. You know, and, and had everyone come out and all. Yeah. That. they're not going to do that 
apparently. So I would expect there to be something at the end of the show on Sunday that would that's going to be really cool and special, you know. And then you have all these other matches that are just, I mean, the card looks amazing, and and you're packing that place, and it's going to be loud, and it's going to be, you know, everyone's going to be fired up, I think, and you know, it's it you should be touting that. And then leading into the Boston, you know, where they've done good ticket sales for the um, Mercedes Monet debut and then Okada coming in and then, you know, what they have kind of they have a launching, you know, they could launch a, a kind of new era, I guess, you know, from this from this moment on, this could be the launching pad for it. And then that's, you know, hopefully in their minds, what gets them back to doing better week to week. Agreed. I feel like this is um, they have a lot more momentum right now, um, you know, moving forward. Obviously, this is the retirement of somebody, but I feel that there's a lot of other things going on, bringing in some new characters. And if you can shift some of the focus in the booking, you know, and we'll talk a little bit about that as we go through Dynamite. Uh, but I feel that there are some big time stars that you can really start centralizing your promotion around um, and really change some of the direction, you know, from where it had previously been going. So. Uh, I as of right now, I'm uh, pretty optimistic as to as to the direction of where things are heading for the next couple of months. I am as well, and I hope that they can, you know, they have a plan for for all this. As long as they have a plan, it's good. That you know, there's the sky's the limit as far as you know what what's to come in the next few months. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to go through, um, you know, now now it's kind of like we're, we're pretty much removed from a lot of Rampage Collision because now they've already taped the newest um, Collision show. Um, so they've got a little bit different schedule. But, Greg, I just want to go through uh, just some of the results that happened on Rampage and Collision and just get any of your feedback. I know there were some things on Collision that uh, we both really liked, so we can get a little bit more in depth on that. But... Uh, just going through a little bit of the stuff on Rampage, um, the first match there was uh, Penta, Commander, and Brian Keith defeated Private Party and Matt Seidel, as well as Top Flight, Darius and Dante Martin, and Action Andretti. Um, and then after that, we just got more uh, more of the continuing uh, storyline between Soraya, Harley Cameron, uh, A- Angelo Parker, and Ruby Soho. So just more developments on that. Nothing too knows, noteworthy on that. It's uh, where it was supposed to be. Keep it on Rampage. And that's what I've said from the beginning, whether you like it or you don't like it. And that's – yeah. Keep it there. They've gotten it more on track, but I don't know. It's just um, – you know, it's, it's, it's a storyline. You know. The dog does not think so. The dog is, yeah. <laughs> is not a, not a fan of the uh, of the love quadrant or whatever it is. Yes, she's uh, she's going crazy upstairs. Uh, I, I assume the mailman or, or somebody yeah. is. Uh, I've been there. I've been there. Right. Yes. Um, so after that, we had a squash match of uh, Young Bucks defeated Johnny Lyons and Cappuccino Jones. They did a promo after that. Um, you know, referring back to the fine with Tony Schiavone, trying to make good with him, giving offering him a $25 Amazon gift card, but they would not rescind uh, their their $1,000 fine to him. Uh, so I thought that was just some, you know, just more character mm-hmm. building stuff. Uh, we also had Sammy Guevara coming in the ring. He got uh, he just got destroyed by Powerhouse Hobbs just leading up to their match on Saturday. Uh, we got a little backstage segment between Sky Blue and Julia Hart continuing on their story uh, with Willow Statlander and, and Stokely Hathaway. Then saw Mariah May uh, defeating Anna Jay. 
Uh, again, more of the Ruby Soho and Angela Parker stuff. And then we had a main event uh, between Roderick Strong and Oklahoma's own Jake Hager. And uh, Jake Hager got his hat back. Uh, we, we were joking about his hat last week. Uh, Orange Cassidy brought it back, threw it to him, kind of doing the fastest deal of here's the bell ring, goes nuts, but he puts his hat on, goes crazy. Um, but still, Roderick Strong gets the win here. So uh, nothing special, Rampage, but do you have any other comments on this, Greg? More parents should name their children Cappuccino. Yeah. Yeah, Cappuccino Jones. Yeah. I, like I mean, it, just, it stands out, you know, it, it's memorable. And uh, yeah, no, outside of that, it was it was a fine show. You know, it was fine. It, you're watching. It had some story development, which I think is important. You know, you kind of even though the, the viewership isn't huge on on that show, it, it's an opportunity to give some of the lower on the card, you know, storylines a, a place to kind of, you know, develop and hopefully make you if you're and that's what they i think have in mind they want to make you dynamite watchers say well maybe i'll tune into rampage just to kind of see what's going on with blank if you happen to like it and so um fine show yeah if you like some of these lower level storylines that you know develop uh this is uh this is the spot to see more of those uh developments there so okay uh moving on to the collision show from last saturday just scrolling through here. Uh, I was texting you about this one, Greg. Uh, they kicked off the show with the Powerhouse Hobbs and Sammy Guevara no disqualification match. And I really, really liked this match. It had some great visuals in there with Sammy Guevara um, doing the swanton up the ladder, uh, the spine buster from Hobbs to, to Sammy through, through, the, uh, uh, through the table there. I mean, there was some really good stuff, and, and just watching this, I just became a lot more bullish on Powerhouse Hobbs becoming a character. I mean, he, I think he's really coming into his own. I think Sammy is starting to find more of his lane. You know, these are the types of matches that he really thrives in where he can do those uh, those loco spots um, and do some do some crazy things in there. But, man, I, I really, really liked this match overall. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I loved it. It got me, you know, for me, a lot of times it's like I'm watching it or you're glancing at your phone at some sports scores or something like that. But I always know it's a great match if I just, you know, the phone goes down and I'm really into it. And that one, you know, won me over for sure. Uh, the um, the powerhouse Hobbs, he, he is he's something about when he's, you know, he doesn't have as many matches as I'd like to see him in. You know, I like to see him more. But when he's. When he's in a match, it, it seems different than it did like a year ago. He seems to have more either confidence or, you know, the way the way he presents himself is just a little more, you know, like he knows who he is and he's trying to find, you know, the, the what work what per, works for his character. And I think he's getting there with that. But I feel bad for Sammy because, you know, Sammy is, is a great talent and, you know, he's been he's been he's suffered from the the amount of turns that they've had to do with him or they've chosen to do with him um and he's kind of hasn't had really a lane in you know a year and a half or something like that or so you know it's just kind of been a back and forth thing ever since the Ty Conti or the Ty Mello thing going you know where and then he was back and forth and back and forth and um i think if they can just say this is your role it's not going to change for at least a year or two and kind of find your 
find your place. I think he can kind of settle in um, if he's used, you know, enough. And I think he can kind of get himself back to, you know, he can he can be a baby face. You know, I know he's mm-hmm. kind of got the heel tendencies, but he can be that. He just has to kind of be left and and learn, develop, and and be willing to kind of you know change his his ways or or find a mentor to kind of get him in the right direction. But um, you know, it's a it's it's been a rough go for him, and and hopefully he kind of comes back. Was was Chris Jericho not enough of a mentor for him <laughs> to get him in the right direction? <laughs> for the first two years, I think he was in a really good spot. You know, he was you know he was the he was the um, inner circle, you know, guy. He had, you know, the the good looks. They had the thing, you know, even though he might have taken a few extra pins, but he just he stood out to me a little in the in the inner circle, and as like the protege type thing. And then once he kind of started winning the TNT title and then losing it and winning it, losing it, and then and then you know, I mean, maybe the turning point was him you know, proposing to the earlier girlfriend on television. And then that like ended a month later. And then he's definitely with Ty and, you know, people kind of, you know, people like, wait, what? And now am I supposed to still like him? It's kind of, you kind of, you know, who knows what happened in his personal life. He has every right to, you know, whatever, but on television, if you're going to do it. And the next thing you know, you're, you know, you know, playing tonsil hockey with you know ty Mello at the top of the ramp it's like it's jarring you know to to people to kind of say well i don't know if i like him now and then they're trying to put him back and forth and back and forth so it's just been an interesting ride for him but i mean talent in the ring wise he's right up there with anybody yeah yeah i i agree i think that if he can find his lane um you know i i just don't see him as kind of a a top babyface character, but I think that working with a lot of these bigger guys like Powerhouse Hobbs, I mean, he's somebody who can create a lot of movement, create a lot of, um, you know, work with them to make these big power spots. Um, you know, that's that that's where he can be really valuable working with a lot of these guys. So, yeah. uh, and just, he does have a lot of fans too. I mean, yeah. you can see like, you know, I, I I don't watch regularly, but I've seen his his uh, vlog, you know, and I know that it was like a probably the second most popular one behind being the elite in the, in the heyday of those early days. And, and when I check in every now and then, um, on it, you know, he's going to these signings, there's tons of people in line for him. He's, you know, he's, he's, you know, so it's there for him. They just kind of have to stop messing with him. Let him kind of just do something that, that is, uh, that he can just worry about, this is your role for the next year, six, you know, 18 months, you know, two years or so. After that, we had John Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli. They were backstage. Um, they basically, they just accepted the challenge from FTR. Uh, John Moxley or, or Claudio or Moxley uh, recalled the story where Claudio walked a hun- uh, 20 miles from the airport to go training with William Regal and Dave Taylor. Um, basically, you know, just just accepting this match and, and setting this stuff up for a revolution. I could listen to Moxley talk for an hour. He's just yeah, captivating. Every, everything he says, even some of the things that don't make sense, it's still I'm still, you know, I'm still listening. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, Moxley, he's uh, he's one of the best talkers that they have here. He's the guy who embodies the heart and soul of AEW, what a lot of people want to see in this brand. Um, but I, I think so far they, they've done a really good job of just kind of 
you know, it was it's kind of like, what is Boxley going to be doing for this pay-per-view? And I think they've done a good job to heat this up rather quickly uh, to get people interested in seeing a rematch uh, between these two teams. Yeah, and it should be great. After that, they had uh, FTR versus Shane Taylor and Lee Moriarty. FTR wins this match in about 10 minutes. Um, you know, and then after the match, uh, they had a had a promo there. Um and FDR said that they aren't afraid of the Blackpool Combat Club, and they said that you guys, uh, you want to be king, you got to kill a king. He said that they are coming for Blackpool Combat Club's head at Revolution. Top guys out. Yeah, setting up, uh, you know, what should be a very intriguing kind of like, you know, it, it's not when people are thinking about this card, they're kind of in the I, at least me, forgetting about that, you know, after you're talking about the first two, three, four matches, you're like, oh, yeah, you get that one, too. It's great. So it should be a good, you know, battle. I'm just hoping the BCC can kind of now pivot after this uh, pay-per-view to kind of be more, you know, babyface and and embrace the fact that the fans want to cheer them. I hope so, but I don't know about that. Yeah. Yeah. You can keep the edge, but still kind of, you know, like have Danielson not, you know, kicking guys in the in the junk and 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 or holding on to those, you know, holds after the bell. I mean, those are subtle little things. If you just kind of got rid of those, it would be so much easier to root, you know, to root for them. After that, we had Thunder Rosa defeating Lee Bird Monroe in about two minutes. Just, uh, you know, just a squash to get a win. Yeah. Uh, you know, parents should name their kids late. No, I'm not going to go there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cappuccino, Ladybird Monroe. I mean, these are, yeah, these are some indie wrestling names. That's right. Yeah. Or, yeah, or former first ladies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, after that, we had uh, Renee Paquette. She was backstage with Chris Statlander, Willow Nightingale, and Stokely Hathaway. Um and really, they said that they just re- responding back to uh, what Julia and Sky Blue had for for challenging Statlander, um, you know, just continuing on with the storyline. I don't think they've firmed up any sort of upcoming matches between the two. Uh, I know that they, that we had Chris Statlander and uh, and Sky Blue were on Dynamite, but as far as any championship match with Julia Hart, I don't think they've yet any um, anything definitive. Yeah, I had read that Julia Hart was dealing with some sort of injury. Um, that so I I'm assuming that means she kind of needs she's she's able to walk to the ring and kind of be around, but maybe not cleared to wrestle yet. So maybe that they're kind of dragging it out uh, for that reason. Sure. Yeah. So they they just um, they just you know uh, this was where Chris Statlander uh, challenged Sky Blue for a match at Dynamite. Uh, after that, Jay White uh, came out with the Gun Club as well as the Acclaimed. Uh, interesting part in front of here, uh, where Max Caster goes into his rap and then it, he just kind of, you know, uh, stopped midway through. I think he just kind of froze up or forgot what his line was. Not sure. You know, I, I was thinking there's a possibility that this is a work of, of like, maybe this team isn't working together. He's kind of thrown off with these other guys walking down him, down with him. I don't, I haven't heard definitively if it was just him forgetting it or if it was part of the storyline. Have you heard either way on that? I have not heard specifically my speculation. It just looked like he lost, you know, whatever was in his head. Like he just, yeah. you know, maybe he, it just, he was going there and then he just kind of, it just left 
you know, and again, being an older guy now for me, I'll sometimes when I'm even doing this show with you, sometimes I'll have something in my mind and I'm talking and all of a sudden it's like gone. And I'm like, oh, my God, what was I going to say? You know, so, I mean, it does happen, you know, on live television. It is embarrassing. They kind of played off of it on Dynamite a little bit, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, what what can you do? You can now because it happened, they can play it if they're going to do like some sort of angle, you know, where that was a, you know, one of the things that, that they're not kind of clicking together or something like that, or, or the team is affecting him or whatever. I'll, whatever can make them break up sooner. I'm all for because free Jay. White. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Preach, preach, free him. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, uh, whether this was or not, but definitely those, those things happened and I think they recovered just fine and moved on to their match, uh, which was Jay White and Colton Gunn and Billy Gunn versus the Iron Savages, Boulder and Bronson and, and Jack Jameson. Uh, you know, I mean, this was a fine match, but I don't remember which guy on the other team, but they had a, you know, just a very comical Shawn Michaels Hulk Hogan bump where he got, you know, <laughs> right. knocked down uh, and then he just bounced right up and flopped out of the ring. So, you know, just some comedic stuff here, which uh, when when you're hearing the way that we're talking about this whole group with the Bang Bang Scissors people, uh, that it's just kind of it's all kind of goofy. And so whatever they do right now, I guess I just really don't care. I just want them to yeah disintegrate you- this team. When the acclaimed kind of embraced the the uh, you know sports entertaining side of themselves, um, this is kind of what you were going to get, and it's fine. I just I want Jay White so far away from this. I cannot say it enough. It just you know, please. The, he's just digging deeper and deeper. Ugh. Uh, I just yeah, it's. To say. <laughs> um, so Lexi Nair was backstage with Brian Danielson, uh, building up his match with Junakiyama, calling it a dream match. Um, Danielson uh, demanded that there be more respect for uh, for Akiyama, calling him a legend. Uh, he also was hyping up his match against Eddie Kingston, uh, bringing up the handshake and all that, and um, you know, saying that just building up how how big of a match this is and why he's go- he's going to go out there and beat Eddie Kingston for the Continental Crown at Revolution. Brian Davidson's gotten a lot of uh, criticism from some people about, you know, he's being selfish and he's trying to just do all these matches that he wants to do in his last, you know, full time year and all this other stuff. And I can see that and I understand the criticism um, and I would like to see him doing more. But in this case, it made perfect storyline sense for him to want to fight, you know, a guy who. Eddie Kingston looked up to growing up and everything and kind of, you know, beat him up in front of Eddie. Eddie was, you know, a, a great on commentary during the match. It kind of, you know, it, it all made sense to me to set up their match at the pay-per-view. So I was perfectly fine with it. The match was uh, entertaining. It was good, hard hitting and what you'd expect. And then, you know, Danielson kind of does what he does afterwards and, you know, to to kind of solidify himself as the heel for this match. Um, again, I would rather him not be a heel moving forward, but for this match he is. And so I, I have no problem with this whole uh, you know storyline in this episode. Mm-hmm. After that, we had Malachi Black in his first singles match in God, I don't I don't know how long. Uh, well, well, for AEW, man, it, I'm trying to look this up quickly here. Uh, but he defeated Ryan Keith. 
in in a good match here, and I think it looks like his last singles match in AEW was against Cody. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking maybe it was against Cody, but it looks like it was January 5th, 2022 against Brian Pillman Jr. on a dynamite in Newark, New Jersey. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't know what's going on with, oh, look, my dog's now has got something to say. Um, uh, I don't know what, uh, is going on behind the scenes with Malachi throughout the years and, and the reasons behind a lot of the kind of half pushes, pushes staying, you know, what his situation is. If he's happy and wants to be there, then there's no excuse for them not to, you know, giving him singles pushes and all that stuff. But if he's constantly complaining or if there's constant issues that he might leave, I understand him. Just keep him in the tag team matches. Don't showcase him and all that. So I don't know what to think when it comes to him. Obviously, he's a talent. Obviously, I would love to see him kind of in these, you know, in a singles push. But, you know, it just seems that there's just something going on that's preventing that because they're not stupid, you know, back there to to just bury him for no reason. And not bury as in, you know, lose all the time, but just just have him not a showcase guy yeah. uh, for, for no reason at all. Yeah, I, I he just kind of I put him in the same bin as the Giandrades and the Miros, where um, there's just something that's different there, where they just don't view it as, as a Danielson or a Moxley, where Danielson, you know, is really just kind of going on his his tour of hey, I want to do all the things I didn't get to do for the last ten years when I was in WWE, and now I get to face all these great opponents and have all these great matches. Moxley really wanted to help elevate the brand and, and be the guy, be the central guy there. Whereas these guys, I mean, it just it, it just seems like they have a very different mentality that does not jive with what Tony Khan wants to do with them. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I mean, I've been saying forever, as much as, you know, Miro had, has had the flashes and all that, whether it's hurt or other things going on, it's like, just cut bait at this point, you know, just let him, if he go, if he goes back to WWE and it's like, fine, right. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You're not getting anything out of him anyway. There's no reason to keep him hostage if he's not ready or if he's a constant, you know, if he's now injury prone and constantly has these issues, you know, all right, just kind of, you know, end it. Don't mention him anymore. Just say this is, situ- you know, say it once. OK. And then when his contract runs out, just let him go. I mean, they did a good thing with Spears, you know, where they let him out of his last year of his contract to go back to WWE, you know, because he they weren't going to use him. It's like, OK, it's OK. You know, you have your roster is stacked. It's OK. After the match, the lights went out. Mark Briscoe entered the ring with a kendo stick. Um he he whacked both Buddy Matthews and Brody King with the kendo stick, uh, and then he went to uh, stab Brody uh, stab Malachi Black with the spike, to puts it into the turnbuckle, uh, and then he gets turned around and uh, he gets he gets rocked by uh, by both uh, Briscoe and uh, and Buddy King or uh, Buddy Matthew and Brody King. Um, so no one to help Mark Briscoe this time. Now that he's his former partners FTR are off doing something else. I like seeing Mark Briscoe on television. I'll uh, I'll leave it at that on that one. After this, we had Serena Deeb uh, going against Lady Frost. Uh, my understanding is that Kiara Hogan was originally booked for this, and then uh, Lady Frost was a was a last minute replacement to get her in there. Um, you know, fine match uh, to get more to get Serena Deeb more out there. Uh, she had a promo afterwards, putting the whole women's division on notice. 
uh, and said that she's going to put the wrestling back into all elite wrestling. Not the best promo. It was a little bit all over the place for me, but I like her and she's a valuable member. I think of that, uh, you know, of, of the division. And I like to see her, you know, it, the, when she's involved, the, the quality of the matches goes up. And I think that's the one thing that can help get them to the next level is the, is having matches that are, that you're not like cringing or wondering, or it's like, or it looks like it's in slow motion. You know, she's good. And so the more she's in the ring and, and, and wrestling, the better. Uh, main event time with Brian Danielson versus Jun Akiyama. I thought they did a good job talking about Akiyama and his accomplishments. Eddie Kingston was also on commentary where he did a great job of really putting over Akiyama and how he's a big deal and the influence that he's had on Kingston's career and other people. Um, you know, after the match, uh, they, they had an angle here of, um, Brian Danielson, you know, shook, shook hands with, uh, uh, with, with Akiyama and then, um, was a Kingston then gave the finger to Danielson or how that Danielson gave Danielson Danielson gave gave the the finger to Kingston. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then turn around and then, uh, Akiyama slapped Brian Danielson and then Danielson gave a low blow to Akiyama and then Kingston came out or came in the ring and started attacking Danielson. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned how much I like this a little earlier, but Kingston shines on commentary and, and stuff because he, Nothing he ever says seems scripted, and I think that's one – you know, and, and most of AEW obviously is not scripted scripted like you know, like WWE or others. But but um, it's also it, – it doesn't even seem like he has his bullet points. He just talks like a normal like you know person who doesn't like somebody or wants to fight somebody. And so when he's kind of in the middle of talking to commentary and then Danielson like – you know, like won't look at him or, you know, or right afterwards, he kind of is almost talking back to Danielson from the commentary. It's just that I, I love that. It's just because it's it's real and you can really, you know, get behind the the narrative on that. Yeah. So then after afterwards, um, they, they got into a brawl and then FTR came out and the rest of Blackpool Combat Club came out and then. Tony Schiavone announced that he's heard just from Tony Khan to set up a six-man tag match for Dynamite. Uh, so that brings us into Dynamite. Let me pull that up here, uh, which was um, from Huntsville, Alabama. Here, uh, attendance was just over a little thirty. It was about thirty-two hundred people in the building. I thought it looked pretty good, actually, uh, compared to other episode, compared to other television shows that they've had. Yeah, I. I didn't like the layout of the building. It just was odd looking. And so to me, it kind of looked smaller than it was, although the crowd was there and loud. So that definitely helped for me. But yeah, but it just it it really takes me out a lot of times when it's they just keep it so dark. And it's like, you know, and and again, I understand it. And if they can't find it lit and they think it looks good, that they got to do what they have to do. But it just it pains me because it's like, you know, I really want it to. <clears throat> be look better you know and maybe this new look or whatever and, and obviously the next you know group of uh, uh of venues i think are you know better at least or, or are going to be more full and have a better look and hopefully that can kind of launch them into you know the next group but i do understand that these venues this is still uh venues that were booked 
in the where the previous people were running, you know, the the uh, the weekly planning or whatever. And so soon, you know, the 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 new vision is going to take place, you know, when they because you have to book out, you know, six months to a year. So eventually they're going to whatever plan they have to kind of improve the look will eventually be coming uh, soon. So. Dynamite kicked off with a Hangman Page promo where he hobbled to the ring on a crutch here. Uh, and, he, and basically, I mean, the crowd was quiet for this. I mean, they were taking this seriously about a potential injury uh, and said that he would not be able to compete for uh, the championship match at Revolution. And I, and I saw many people on Twitter uh, buying into this and saying that Hangman was no longer in the match. It's going to be a singles match now between Swerve and Samoa Joe. And I did not buy this for one second. Uh, mm-hmm. The guy had a cowboy boot on. There's no way he's getting that cowboy boot on over an, a broken ankle. Um, just no chance at all. So this, he, he swerved, swerved, obviously, uh, was when Swerve came out, talked about that being his destiny to become champion. Then Samoa Joe came out. Joe got a promo on both of them. And Joe left it more ambiguous, saying, well, if I'm facing one of you or both of you, uh, I'm gonna be both. I'm gonna become the world champion coming out of this. And so then Swerve then began to cut his promo on Joe, and then that's when Hangman attacks Swerve from behind with the crutch. So were you buying this at all, Greg? I mean, obviously there there may have been something personal that he didn't know if he was gonna be there or not. It also, you know, you could believe that this is just more to firmly establish him as a heel in the match. Um, yeah, I didn't that, buy this. That's the that's how I looked at. It. I mean, the reporting was that. It was, you know, worked to set up a pot that he might have to miss, you know, the, the event. So I would kind of so even though, you know, he had the boot on, I was kind of didn't, you know, at the beginning, I was like a little wary and like, all right, let's see where this goes. You know, that crutch, you know, is just screaming to be, you know, used as a weapon. Um, but I thought all three of them did a great job in this. And it clearly to me was Hangman kind of completing his heel turn of kind of, you know, doing something, you know, dirty and and you know tricking swear and swerves you know uh uh what the things that he was saying were kind of more like you know baby face type things you know almost feeling bad for hangman that he can't they wouldn't be able to participate joe was an amazing joe as usual so i think it was a solid uh, job by all three of them to set up uh the the title match yeah, I think this was kind of the last place to go um, as far as setting this up for, for this championship match. It's just firmly establishing what people's roles are going into this, that, you know, establishing Heyman Page where he had been leaning towards heel. And now this is firmly that he's in that position by just straight up lying about not being able to compete in the match and then attacking Swerve from behind. And it really puts Swerve and Samoa Joe more in that baby face position. So I like the fact that now it's it's very clear as the direction that AEW wants the, the rooting interest that AEW wants us to have uh, for this match. Yeah. Uh, after this, it was backstage uh, with the uh, Matthew and Nicholas Jackson uh, were with uh, Renee Paquette and they were asked about their business meeting with Ric Flair. And Nicholas said that it went great. Uh, they asked her if she has seen sting and they said that they, that they need to have his exit interview and then slapped the bat against their hands and told the cameras that they'll need to follow them. So that was an ongoing storyline throughout the night of the Bucks looking for Sting. Uh, I really like the setup of a an episode long narrative 
where you keep going back to it. They don't do that enough. And so if it's intriguing enough to people, they kind of want to see where it's going to end. So they will stay tuned and continue to watch. And I think that is the goal of, you know, what should be the goal of everybody. So I thought that was that was well done. The Bucks, I think they're doing a good job. It's still a little bit kind of over the top hokey-ish to me at times. You know, because you're so used to them doing this being the elite stuff, it's hard to kind of put that aside, kind of that that just, again, over-the-top acting, you know, like winking to the camera stuff that they've done for so many years. But I think they're trying hard, and I think they they are doing a pretty good job of making themselves, you know, hated and, you know, everyone wanting to see – Sting and Darby get, you know, revenge. After this, we had the Blackpool Combat Club versus Eddie Kingston, FTR. A lot of good action in this, you know, giving you some previews of those two matches that are going to be having on Revolution. The finish of this was quite interesting of having Danielson choking out Eddie Kingston. Um, you know, and, and I wrote on Twitter that if this is if, if we're going off the booking logic of the last 20 plus years, I mean, this would suggest that Danielson is not winning at Revolution. But I, I feel that this was really the time that Danielson needed to win a championship. You could put Kingston, um, you know, he still holds the ROH, that strong championship. He could be doing other things. But uh, it seemed that Danielson just holding a title uh, and then going up against these different opponents would give him a lot more. Do you buy into the fact that this finish kind of telegraphs the the um, Danielson maybe losing against Kingston, or do you think that maybe they're just going all strong with Danielson? I think that that it was to give Danielson a big win, and I think Kingston wins uh, at Revolution and gets. My hope is if Kingston wins at Revolution, keeps those titles, because again, I just I hate how those titles are defended, but that's a whole other thing. But uh, but, you know, gains Danielson's respect and that allows Danielson to kind of pivot himself back into the babyface role where he can finish off the year in that role where I think he's better suited, especially if you're finishing off for your last full time year. You know, you don't want to be healing your way through the whole summer and fall, you know, and then yeah. have like something at the end where you're like, oh, look, I'm happy and I'm a good guy again. Cheer me. You know, so while Danielson can certainly play both sides, I, people love him and want to cheer him. So this would be an opportunity where it's a great match. You know, he he ends up, you know, losing to like maybe a great wrestling move. And then I know we're getting ahead of the you know, predictions, but, you know, uh, of that. but I think that's where they're going, because I think uh, after everything Eddie has done to build himself up, to have him get choked out and then lose it to pay-per-view and have no titles – after that, I think you're, you know, I don't know why you would do that. You're just kind of killing the 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 build that you have done with him. Yeah. So that that's the way I, I saw it. But it was a good match. Uh, the 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 six man match was uh, entertaining and a good showcase for all the guys. Next, we had Chris Jericho was backstage with Renee Paquette. He gave a history of the connection to CMLL and Atlantis. Uh, talked about the importance of facing Atlantis Jr. tonight. Uh, he spoke in Spanish at the end, kind of giving a lot of his his typical Chris Jericho lines, but doing those in Spanish, which I thought was was neat, uh, something different, you know, playing upon his history there. I mean, Chris has been in all all around the world. Anyone who's followed his stories, and so I think it's fun that 
because he's done a lot more stuff connecting him back to Japan that he's doing, uh, you know, a little piece here, uh, going back to the Lionheart, connecting him back to CMLL. Yeah, when I talk to uh, like friends of mine who are not as you know huge fans of AEW as I am, it, it's always like if they're watching a show and, and a random you know the the random matches that come about with somebody from Japan or Mexico or whatever, they're just like, well, who is this guy and why do I care? This this segment to set up the Jericho and Atlantis Jr. is exactly what they should show to every single wrestler, to everybody there, because that's how you do it. That's how you introduce somebody because I never heard of Atlantis. So I, you know, when you show the old footage, when you kind of when you talk about, you know, why this guy means so much to Jericho, why it's cool that he wants to, you know, give his son a chance, why, you know, everything surrounding that was was a good plan, a good idea to do to introduce the fans to somebody who most of them had no idea who it was and why it's important. Now the match itself will get there, but, but, uh, but the setup was perfect. After that, we are back in the ring with Tony Schiavone introducing, introducing the newest member of the AEW roster, Will Ospreay. And Will Ospreay came out to a, to a good ovation for the crowd. Uh, he was excited talking about uh, how he was coming in November and needed to fulfill his obligations with New Japan. Uh, he talked about also taking a vacation in Barbados and having his luggage lost, but he got that resolved here um, You know, and talked about his, his accomplishments. Uh, that's when uh, Don Callis and the rest of the Don Callis family came out, and Don Callis compared it to Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen going hard in practice and then winning championships, and he said no matter what, the family wins uh, regardless of who, who gets the pin or submission uh, at the pay-per-view. Um, then Takeshita and Will Ospreay, they shook hands and got in each other's face. Um, I mean, I was really, really – I really like the segment a lot. I mean, it just what what it signaled to me is that every time I see the Don Callis family, I just constantly am going, "This is who you need to build the promotion around." This is what's to me is the most interesting storyline, the most interesting faction. Whereas we kind of been there, done that with a lot of the other people there. But I'm looking for what are you building? What are you building towards? And it just always seems to me Don Callis is always. That, that's the way he presents himself. He does his promos is that he's building, he's adding, he's trying to climb to the next level. And that's something that people can sink their teeth into, especially when, when I'm watching this stuff. Now I'm really interested to see what are these next steps. You know, is it just going to be an immediate break off, you know, at this pay-per-view? Is this going to be an opportunity for uh, Will Ospreay to get beat down from the rest of the – from the rest of the Don Callis family. And then Okada comes in for the save. I think there's just a lot of intriguing possibilities here, but either way, I think you got to get Will Ospreay into the babyface position because it's, it's been clear to me even before, uh, before he's made his debut here, but it's like, this is a really big deal that I think a lot of people are, um, giving giving it giving it credit for uh to have will osprey coming in here coming off one of the greatest years of any in-ring wrestler from last year continuing that on this year uh with several matches already that are match of the year contenders and now he's going to be on the aew roster full-time it's like you have uh you have a future you know top number one babyface star coming into your promotion yeah, I, th- I think they learned a lesson in some ways from the Soraya debut, you know, of, of what not to do in your opening promos. It's like you want to establish uh, Osprey as a uh, as a star and a 
fan favorite. They, you know, he should be their Cody eventually. And yeah. so you bring him in. You're not gonna start with him saying, "Yeah, Don Callis, I'm," you know, like, and and kind of, and then have a slow breakup or something like that. No, you bring him in as a likable guy, and he came across as a likable guy, you know, who might say some, you know crazy things or might say some, you know, whatever he's going to do. He might be, a, you know, he might be a little quirky, you know, but it, it may not be as f- like Kenny Omega crazy quirky, you know, where it's like, you know, where it's like, what, you know, but it's just, it's uh, maybe quirky enough to be kind of liked and, and, and people can get behind him and he's not going to be overly arrogant, but he's going to be confident. And I think that's, people can get behind those type of characters and so this is a great setup you know he's already kind of making you know subtle faces when callus is talking about we this we that i you know we help we beat you know this guy we beat that guy and it's like, okay all right and so you know the quicker that they you know separate him which could hopefully is as soon as sunday would would be great and he can kind of go off and 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 be the fan favorite the guy who people can get behind all spring and summer and then it can lead to a possible you know culmination at all in uh after that we had uh backstage eddie kingston was with renee paquette this got inter- interrupted by the young bucks who are continuing to look for sing yeah just continuing that narrative which i like um i would have liked eddie to say a little more just because i like hearing him talk at all times but uh um but you know taking a shot at you know the way eddie looks is low-hanging fruit but it was effective after that uh orange cassidy versus nick wayne uh i thought that they had a good match here you know you get reminded that nick wayne how good of a wrestler that he is the potential that he has every every time he's in there you know this wasn't totally blow away type of match but um, you know, Orange Cassidy gets the win here, uh, and then and then Roderick Strong attacked Orange after the match. Nick Wayne is going to be a star, and and he's going to be a star because I think he already has an understanding of the business that so many don't have that ha- that are athletically gifted like him. At such a young age, he was able to showcase himself in this match, but being the heel, he is he he has that you know punchable face you know that people that that sneer that the you know which which is great but he also did not go all out with all of the athletic moves because he's not a baby face you know so he so he showed some athleticism but it's not it wasn't over the top look how great of an athlete i am because then all of a sudden you're starting to get some cheers and it starts to kind of turn the other way he's able to kind of hold back a little bit on that but still be effective and still put on a great match so i mean i'm very excited to to watch this kid grow up backstage uh was the bang bang scissor people with renee young or renee paquette uh, I'll, I'll keep doing that, I'm sure, forever. Uh, and uh, and basically, they're just setting up a match for Collision. Free Jay White. Ditto. Uh, and then it was Chris Statlander versus Sky Blue. Sky Blue gets the win here, actually, after a distraction from Stokely Hathaway goes wrong. Uh, so again, continuing more of this, uh, how, what, what is Stokely's role uh, with Willow and Chris Statlander? That it seems that his uh, his potential help is not is not helping them. My favorite line was uh, 
when they when Stokely came out and Taz said, uh, "I'm sitting down and I'm taller than him," and that's me saying it. <laughs> it's just great. It's just a great line. Taz is just a joy every uh, every show. But um, yeah, I mean, it's furthering along the storyline. I'm fine with the storyline. I can think they kind of lost its way at the beginning, where they kind of wanted to go one direction, then they kind of pivoted. Now they're kind of back to a little bit of it. Um, and it's fine. It'll I'm sure it'll pay off over the next few weeks um, in some way, and then I'll then you'll have some fresh matches. Uh, and then backstage, the Young Bucks went into Sting's locker room, uh, which was had a, had a red light there and all these bats hanging from the ceiling. Yes, a, a callback. Um, I can't remember exactly when that was a callback to, but that's happened before. So I think you know the AEW's uh, you know appreciation of history. I think you know whether it's you know sometimes it'll be TNA history, sometimes it'll be other stuff. But I do, I'm I'm a fan of like. You know, referencing old, you know, older things, nostalgia, little Easter eggs, things like that. And they do a very good job of kind of researching and kind of coming up with good ideas across the board to kind of pay homage to older, you know, angles and 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 things that older fans will appreciate. Sting was playing mind games here, so yes, uh, a lot of a lot of callbacks to. Um... You know, the stink stuff. Uh, after this, we had Chris Jericho defeating Atlantis Jr., putting him in the walls of Jericho. And then Atlantis Sr. Uh, threw in the towel for his son. So Chris Jericho gets the win in about 12 minutes. Should have been eight minutes. That would be that would be my one thing. I mean, you know, it it, it, was, it was fine. Okay. Yeah, it was yeah. fine. But I think it was a little long. And I think because I kept looking at the clock like, how much time are they going to have for this, you know, final angle with Sting and what, how's it going to work? Because all of a sudden it was, you know, getting later and later. And I know they're taking advantage of the overrun uh, more, but they're, you know, some people's DVRs, you know, aren't as smart as others and they might miss stuff. And then you have to go to YouTube to find, you know, find it and all that. So I kind of, it was, it was a little too long for me, but um, it was fine. So then uh, the final hype, for all of this, uh, with the Sting retirement match, uh, we had the Young Butts coming coming out to the ring. Uh, they are they're calling out Sting, and here's when uh, Ric Flair's music hits. He comes out, uh, and they're they're going to attack. Uh, they're they're going to make their attack, and uh, Ric Flair. Then he pokes the eyes of uh, of both Matthew and Nicholas Jackson, and uh, does his total swerve on them. And you know, I just. To see Ric Flair coming out there and just attacking them like this, I mean, you know, do, doing the whole swerve to where, you know, they think that he's going to be on their side attacking Tony Schiavone. And then just this decrepit old guy. Yes, I know he's the dirtiest player in the game, but it just made the Young Bucks look like chumps, you know, during this whole thing. And then when the Young Bucks are running up the ramp and they're looking up for Sting, um, you know, and uh, <laughs> it just... Just this whole thing, you know, of of Darby Allen's about to be attacked, and then they run up there, and everybody's looking at, at towards Sting coming down from the Raptors. Just made the Young Bucks look like absolute chumps. But it's still, you know, if you're just looking for the nostalgia thing of Sting and the visual coming down uh, from there, I mean, it definitely accomplished that. I mean, it got me to be excited about this match. I love that they they did the callback of having him come down. Obviously, you know, there's companies that are resistant to doing that type of visual for for obvious things that have happened many years ago. Um, 
but yeah, I, I just I think I was hoping for a little bit more to not make uh, the Young Bucks just look like, um, you know, just being duped by this whole thing. And and I think it works for a lot of people who are used to just kind of the, the nostalgia stuff of what Sting did in WCW, some of the stuff in TNA. Um, but, the, you know, I, I think you, you wrote about this as well, that it's like part of this worked for me. The other part of it didn't. Um, you know, so it's just uh, – I don't know. Uh, I'm excited <laughs> for this match. It's just this single segment that I, I think the Young Bucks could have looked a little bit better um, in this. Yeah, this this was a segment that I, I loved and hated at the same time. And and because there are parts that, you know, like, well, first of all, with 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 Ric Flair. So. Well, OK, first of all, with, with Darby, I you know, I. I I, I they've done the the you know fans with, with the sting masks and then there's someone behind a mask that yeah. you know that's wrestler that's that's cool I like that it was a little callback and that was cool, um but then you know then Darby's getting just just beaten to just uh, I mean beaten 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 and if Sting's up there in the rafters waiting to come down why wouldn't you come down to save your partner then as he's getting yeah. you know beaten with a bat and all this other stuff so that that's the one issue I had. When Flair comes down, I'll tell you this much. I'm glad that they they got, hopefully, the whose side is he on stuff out of the way before Sunday. Because I did not want that to kind of, you know, take anything away from that match on Sunday where you're kind of Flair's there and you're kind of wondering, well, what's he going to do? He was this. And then you're kind of watching him a lot of the time instead of watching Sting. And so getting that out of the way, I think, was a smart move. Um, and, but, you know, and then Flair's down there and I, I, there's just really no reason for him to get physical. I mean, you know, I mean, Shane McMahon was saying those punches looked bad, you know I mean? That's how, that's how bad, you know, <laughs> that's how bad it yeah. was. So, I mean, you know, the poke in the eye is great. You know, it's always, that's, that always works for me. It's, it reminds me of Rod, uh, Roddy Piper who had the best one of those ever. But, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, you know. That was it was it was a bad look and the Bucks, you know, they sold it the best they could. But again, it does not make them look very good. Um, And then but then then Flair's getting beat up. Why is Sting sitting up in the rafters waiting? No, it's not my time yet. I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll let the old man get beat up a little bit, you know, while I while I wait. And then, you know, but when it comes to him coming down from the rafters, way cool. You know, I I, I yeah. love that. And and the way it ended, you know, worked. Um. I would have preferred it, you know, to be just a simple. The Bucks are going to the ring. They're waiting for him. He's not there, you know. They're they want to beat him up, and then they kind of go leave the ring for a minute or so, and then maybe Sting gets lowered into the ring or right outside, wherever it is. That would have been cooler, and you don't have to go through all of the other stuff beforehand. And it still would have had a cool ending and a cool, you know, uh, way to set up Sunday, you know, in the final. Uh, the final setup for that match. So, you know, good and bad, but I don't think it's uh, ultimately Sunday when I'm watching, I'm not going to be thinking back to Dynamite and being upset about anything. I'm going to be excited to watch the match. Agreed. And and my apologies for conflating this uh, th- this segment with what happened on Collision. That Yeah, they came out, they found Darby, he had the, mat, the Sting mask behind him, they beat the crap out of him, then Ric Flair comes out, uh, pokes him in the eye, um, you know, and then uh, and then the young bucks are, are waiting for Sting to come down after his music hits, and then he and then he repels from the rafters, uh, and then and then the Bucks get 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 their get their up uh, you know, 
they get their uh, their beat down. Comeuppance. So their comeuppance. That's that's, that's, that's right. what I was looking for. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, yes, so that was Dynamite, and now I want to pivot over to looking at Revolution and doing uh, talking about some of the build here, and then some predictions for the show. Um, so I want to start with talking about uh, the All Star Scramble match. For, this was supposed to be the Meat Madness match um, between. Uh, between Wardlow, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Lance Archer. People are kind of confused because all those same names were added into the All-Star Scramble. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, that in the media call that Tony Khan clarified this, and he said that he was more referring to Keith Lee and Miro not being available, so changed this from instead of some big uh, meaty guys into just an All-Star Scramble. Uh, I will give a spoiler alert, so spoiler alert, I will let you know the other two participants in this. Uh, that Magnus from CMLL and Dante Martin have been added into this match. Um, so ultimately we have Chris Jericho versus Wardlow versus Powerhouse Hobbs versus Lance Archer versus Hook versus Brian Cage versus Magnus versus Dante Martin in a in an all-star scramble match. Uh, this was just kind of one that was thrown together, you know, just another one to get some more people onto this show. Uh, like we said, they had to pivot off this, but any thoughts on the announcement of this match, Greg, or any potential winner for this? It, it is worth knowing that the winner will receive a future AEW World Championship match. That is That is important. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it seems like this is the replacement of the face of the Revolution ladder match, you know, that they've had in all the other ones. Um, and for whatever reason, with the people they were going to have in it, they were just didn't want to go with with a ladder match, you know, for maybe safety reasons or whatever, or it wouldn't, or they didn't have the time for it on the card or whatever it was. Um, this clearly uh, now, when it comes to this pay per view, and we go over it, I could use the phrase quote but i could see it going the other way a lot which is what i love about this card however this match wardlow seems like the showcase wardlow's gonna win he's been talking about the world title it just makes all the sense in the world he wins and will get a title shot with you know whoever comes out of uh of sunday as the world champion yeah i think um i think this one's pretty clear that wardlow is going to be getting this championship match um I don't think I don't see Magnus. I don't see Dante. I don't see Brian Cage. I don't see Hook. Uh, I don't see Lance Archer. Powerhouse Hobbs, maybe Chris Jericho, maybe. But I think that we're just going to go with probably what the original finish was and have Wardlow get a future AEW World Championship somewhere down the road. And when you have a, about that for a while, right? And when you have a rivalry that in, that where you've had Powerhouse Hobbs and Jericho in it. It just screams they're going to take each other out of the finish, you know, in some way that they'll like get preoccupied or go fighting into the back or something like that. And, you know, next thing you know, so they're out. So that takes two of the possible, you know, possible possible winners out of it anyway. Uh, Next, we have FTR. Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler versus Blackpool Combat Club, John Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli. I mentioned before that this was, you know, rather quickly that they started to heat this one up. And I think that they've done a good job because, you know, the, the great talking ability from Moxley and Dax Harwood uh, to get people excited about this. They had their time limit draw where they didn't show nearly as much as they could. Then they had the six man tag match. And now I, I am expecting them to have a great match on this pay-per-view in front of a hot crowd. Dax Harwood, Cash Wheeler, are both from North Carolina. So the crowd's going to be, I think pretty firmly behind them. My prediction right away is I think that they're going to send the crowd home happy with this one and have the FTR going over the Blackpool Combat Club. Ah, see, I was going to go the other way on that. Uh, but I could see it going the other way. 
as as I will say often. Uh, I yeah, I I was leaning a little more towards the BCC only because they had um, you know, lost quite a bit in the end of last year into the early of, of this year with the, in the continental classic and, and all that. And so getting them back on the winning track seems to make the most sense for that group. But again, the home, the home, you know, crowd home field advantage for, for FTR makes that uh, a distinct possibility. I like it. I, I can't call it, but um, you know, I, w- I was going to lean BCC, but who knows? It'll be it'll be good regardless, and you know, it'll uh, it's got a chance to, like you know, it, I'm not gonna say steal the show because I think we all know when one will likely steal the show, but uh, but it'll be very solid. It'll be another great match on this card. I mean, there's not there's nothing on the line in this one. You know, this is just a grudge match on here, which I which I think you need to have a mix of. You know, there's no championship match. Uh, you know, this is not a championship match or for a future title. But you would think if we're still at all adhering to any sort of ranking system that whoever wins this should be getting a, a future tag title match in the very, very, very near future. Yep. Uh, after this, we had Christian Cage versus Daniel Garcia. Um, you know, this a lot of people, uh, the way that they have been building this was that it seemed like this was going to be the third match in the trilogy for Christian Cage uh, versus Adam Copeland. But my prediction is that I think that they they left that one off for now and that they're probably going to revisit that in a few weeks on Dynamite to continue Tony's goal of getting good numbers on Dynamite uh, for when they're back in Toronto. Um, so playing into that prediction, I don't see Daniel Garcia winning the championship here. I think that you could see Copeland making an appearance. Maybe he gets maybe Garcia gets beaten down. Um, maybe, you know, something could happen with Matt Menard. Uh, does he turn on Daniel Garcia? Does he try to come to his aid? Uh, but ultimately, I see Garcia getting beaten down and then uh, Copeland making the save, which then sets up a, a later match uh, for the third in their trilogy for Toronto. That makes the most sense for me. Uh, yeah, Christian should probably go over here. You could say if 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 the Christian Copeland match didn't need a title, you can maybe see Garcia, but I don't think he's, he's being built up, but I don't think he's being built. He's been built up enough to this point to, to win the championship yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be a little bit of a, you know, going in another direction. Now, if you take that championship off of Christian cage, you probably want that for the last time that they do the, I would assume the last probably singles match between them for a long time uh, and have Copeland winning that title uh, to just raise the stakes on that. Yep. Uh, after that, we have Will Ospreay versus Kenosuke Takeshita. And when you talk about Greg, that this, that you could see that going either way. I mean, this is the one for me I could see going either way, but I'll, t- I'll tell you the scenario I would like to see. Uh, and I would really like to see Takeshita win this match. Uh, I would like to see him continue winning these big matches because he has victories over Chris Jericho. He has it over Kenny Omega. Um, just continue on with this guy and building him into this huge monster because at some point Takeshita could go on to a big match against Okada. Uh, you could have another rematch against Osprey down the line uh, where you continue to build. Maybe Osprey gets screwed by the Don Callis family because – uh, Don Callis is going all in on Takeshita uh, and then don't go to it right away, but build to it further down the road. So, um, but I could also easily see, you know, just give Will Ospreay guy coming in fresh, give him the win, you know, but I think it would just do a lot more for Takeshita to, to come out on top of this. 
Yeah, I mean, one thing you we'll know for sure, it's going to be amazing. But um, but when it yeah, I mean, you, you have two perfect points, each of which would be criticized, you know, by by one side. Oh, how can you bring Osprey in to be the new number one guy and have him lose his first match? How? But then Kedekesta, you know, you he, he's such a budding star, and he, he should you know, and so we'll see what they do. I I see the the points on either side that you made make perfect sense. Um, you know, if, if Callis does something in the match to kind of screw over, like, I don't, I don't want him to go all out with like grab the screwdriver and all that stuff. It's like, we don't need that. But if there's a subtle something he does that allows Takeshita to win, that kind of gives, uh, you know, protects Osprey a little bit after probably after an amazing match and then can set up, you know, the next little bit with with osprey battling against callus and and all that i think that would be intriguing um but on the other hand i don't it might be hard for them to say you know osprey doesn't win his first match i don't know i don't know but it's gonna be fun to watch it's it is a very tough one to predict um you know who's gonna win either way but i i just think just keep building to cash it up. Make yeah. him something really, really special with Okada coming in on the horizon. Uh, Will Osprey can afford to take a loss here. Um, you know he's taken he's taken a few more losses um, since trying to leave. Um, you know since his uh, th- this coming year uh, with his stuff with New Japan uh, and then his match in Rough Pro against Michael Oku. But uh, I think the biggest prediction you can have here is that this is going to probably be a match of the year contender you know that's in the middle of this card i don't know where it's going to be on the show if it's gonna um you know be somewhere in the i would assume just somewhere slotted in the middle but just the talent alone about these guys i mean are going to raise raise this levels uh to you know this is good this is going to be a highlight of the show yeah, I can't wait. This is, it's a weird situation for me because I work on Sunday night, and so whenever they have a Sunday night pay per view, I'm, I'm always have it on, and I can watch like it in chunks as the night goes on, and then when I'm done with with the with the uh, the show that I work on at 11:30 uh, p.m. Uh, Eastern time, I can watch the rest of it, you know, and and relax. Yeah. But it's kind of a weird. It's like because the last thing I want to do is, you know have that match interrupted in any way you know so but it's like i gotta start and watch that straight i don't want to have to oh i gotta go do this or i gotta go do that in the middle of it it's gonna be i think you know you need to experience that as like the the 20 minute or whatever that you know that it's gonna be 20 minutes of madness yeah um, so next we have Brian Danielson versus Eddie Kingston for the Continental Crown Championship. And I'm just looking for you, Greg, to give me some clarification on this because I'm looking at it on Wikipedia right now. And it's a singles match for the Continental Crown Championship. And it says that includes the Continental AEW Continental Championship, the ROH World Championship, and the New Japan Strong Championship. Do you know, is, is this match for all three of those belts or is it just for that AEW belt? So my understanding, which I hate, but my understanding from the beginning of this was that this was be- going to become the Triple Crown Championship. So it is almost like one championship that includes three belts. And yeah. so when it is defended, it is not defended. One of them of the three is defended. It's all three every time. So basically, if Danielson wins, he's getting all three belts. That's my understanding of it. Again, hate it. Don't – you know, I – 
you know, again, I've always said that the Continental Classic champion should have that belt for a full year and then enter it again and defend that belt in the ter- that tournament every year. Yeah. But that they're not doing that. So I have to get over it. Get over it. But uh, but so, yeah. So my understanding is it's all three. OK. Yeah, I mean, in, in that scenario, I mean, again, another great match on this show. I mean, you're going to see just a lot of really great ring action. But, uh, you know, based on that finish of the match on Dynamite where Brian Danielson is choking out Eddie Kingston. And, you know, from, from a lot of booking logic, that would mean that Eddie Kingston is then going to go over on the pay-per-view. But I still see a chance here that Brian Danielson takes all three belts. I mean, to me, that makes a lot of sense for him to take them and, and move on and just kind of be the guy who's holding on to all those championships, go on to have a lot of his novelty matches. He could go around to these different promotions. And then Eddie Kingston is kind of like the guy he was at. He can cut all these promos. I can see it now. He was at the mountaintop. He had all those belts, and now he's back down in the gutter, and he needs to build himself back up. So I'm going to go with Danielson on this. Okay. I mean, you, you sold me of that being a legitimate possibility. I'm still leaning towards Eddie because I think the moment of Eddie winning and getting the respect, because this is not something that could be long term, you know, between those two, because Danielson is not going to be full time. So this is the chance to get that Danielson, you know, seal of approval for Eddie and then they move on. But I can also, you know, I could see it going the other way. So again, so that's why I I really love this card. Yeah, it's um this is a much more card to do predictions on than if you were to look at uh, the upcoming stuff for Collision and, and Rampage, which I'll talk about right after this. Um, where I think you can predict every finish of every match. Wait, you don't want to you don't want to go halfway in uh, of these predictions for the pay per view and then go back to Rampage and then go back to pay per view <laughs> and then go back to Collision and then go back to the pay per view in a very confusing manner. You don't want to do that. Well, you know, that would that would be uh, in the character of me to kind of jump around to some different things and get a little confusing. Okay, Excalibur. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So then we have the Women's World Championship match, Timeless Tony Storm versus Deanna Perazzo. Um, I'm not putting much stock in in, uh, Deanna winning this match at all. Yeah, I was hoping this would be more of of one where I could see it going both ways, but um, the way – it's been built in the last maybe three weeks makes it more difficult for me to believe that um, that Tony would lose the title. I think Deanna again, I think it's gonna be a great match between the two. I think you know they they have the the history and the chemistry and everything, but the the character Deanna Perazzo character has just kind of been not defined, I think in in a better way the 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 crowd responses have been you know indifferent almost it's like if they've been you know that's respectful but not you know one big one way or the other if she was built up as this you know conquering hero coming in baby face everyone gets behind her i could see her winning and then seeing what else happens but but you know and part of me wishes she she would win because i think it's better to bring mercedes monet in and if she's going to go right into a title uh, program to go with Parazzo rather than her trying to decipher what this timeless tony storm thing is and trying to get you know cuz it's tough for the opponent uh, of of tony storm to you know overcome the 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 
goofiness, the entertainment portion of it, but then the you know it it it's difficult. So Deanna Parasso in a tough position, but I don't think her character's been you know put been presented in a way yet where she would be like you know the the fan favorite or someone to really get behind. So I think she needs yeah. more time, more time. Credit to her for just doing the best that you can, um, given those circumstances. Like you mm-hmm. said, it's hard to play off that character, Tony Storm, and Deanna trying to bring that realism in there, the connection of the tattoo stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought that they, they definitely had some highlights here along the way. I think that it's a kind of enough has been said about this. I know that I was kind of in favor that they didn't have anything more on Dynamite because it's like, okay, now it's just time for the match. But right. they will have a follow-up uh, on Collision, so just some, some last parting words. But I, I feel that they they've done enough that they can to get to this match and i think that this is uh you know we'll see how this plays out yeah in the last uh in the last like uh, month or so i've listened to uh, a podcast with diana prazo and an interview on youtube with her and she's a very likable person and she she comes across she, one of the main things she'd said in these interviews were was you know the adjustment that she's had to make on weekly television live where she, you know, everything she has to, you know, respond. She has to, you know, there's no cut, you know, cut here, fix this, that type of thing that's, you know, she's, you know, timing of her matches, everything like that, that she never had to worry about before is now like, Oh my God. And I'm now I'm in a title program too. And everything like that. So, you know, it's still an adjustment period for a lot of these wrestlers who come in from other places that aren't used to the weekly television. And I think, you know, it will, take some time to kind of get comfortable um and i think you know and again when when you listen to these things it's another reason why i think they could use more of this on dynamite or you know their shows of just showcasing their talent doesn't have to be in the form of like you know obviously a 20 minute interview or whatever you get a lot but just a you know a 90 second to two minute little something to get allows you to get to know these people better and and you could she could be really likable and a a good baby face if they showcase her that well, but the, you know, all you're seeing is just these little clips with Tony when it's just so difficult to kind of battle her, her huge persona. Mm-hmm. Uh, after this, we have the uh, inter- AEW international championship, orange Cassidy versus Roderick strong. Um, I think this is the time that orange Cassidy loses this belt. You know, I think that, I think he's been overexposed on television. I, I like a lot of his stuff. Um, I, I am a fan of the character. I like the the matches that he's had. Um, but this guy has been getting beat up, and that's a story that they've been telling for a while, um, that Roderick Strong has been mostly staying fresh, and they want to give something more to the Undisputed Kingdom. So I think this is the time that Orange drops that bell. Yep, I agree with everything you said. They've, the way they've set it up makes it, you know, make a lot of sense that Roderick goes over, helps the helps his you know group get a a, a title, um, helps him be taken a little more seriously, and, and yeah, and, and Orange could take a little bit of a break, you know, especially with all these new people coming in, he, he right. may not be as needed to. Have, I know Tony loves him to start the shows and everything, but you can start the shows and with some of these new talent, um, and and not miss a beat, and then allow you know people to miss. Orange Cassidy, and then when he comes back, boom, you got something. Right. Uh, AEW World Championship, three-way, Samoa Joe versus Hangman Adam Page versus Swerve Strickland. I could see any of the three winning, but I think Joe is retaining because of the way it's been set up 
not only it being a three-way, but the hangman and swerve, you know, I'm going to prevent you this and that they're, they're going to, something's likely going to happen to take each other out or give Joe an opening where he can kind of retain. I think Joe's been doing a great job. I would understand it completely if they went swerve because, you know, it, it if they wait on swerve longer, he could lose, you know, some of the, 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 the backing that he has from the fans and all that, especially with some of the new people coming in. But then the new people coming in could overshadow him as well. If he's, a, you know, if he's champion and he's trying to be number one, but all of a sudden Osprey's there and Okada's there and all these other people are there. It kind of, you know, it might. So everything points to, to me that Joe retains and then, you know, we'll see what happens in the next, uh, you know, couple of months. Do you see a possibility of maybe Hangman sabotaging this match and intentionally losing to prevent Swerve from winning the title? I could see it storyline-wise, but I don't want that to happen. I think it takes a lot of the credibility away from it. I think if it's a very subtle like way of doing it, I can't think specifically of, of how I would do it, but if he all of a sudden just decides to like finger poke of doom or something and just allow, just fall down and allow Joe to pin him or something just to prevent swerve that obviously no you know but but if you have if there's a subtle way for him to kind of you know to to either take swerve out or 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 do something i i can see that happening some something but i just don't want it to be kind of an over the top kind of like i'm i'm throwing it because he doesn't like joe either so you know and why would he not want to be champion? So there's there's right. a way you could do it that would I don't know. I don't know how you could do it that would make it okay for me, basically is what I'm I'm saying. But I could see it. Well maybe his so maybe his dissension, you know, into being the SEAL character is that he's descended so far into this he's driven crazy just by preventing Swerve Strickland from winning this title. And so I I would give I can't remember who wrote this on Twitter, but I saw this scenario that because Samoa Joe has been trying to get over his rear naked choke so much uh, in these matches, that what if there was a scenario where Joe had Hangman in the rear naked choke and Swerve is kind of on the outside about to get him, about to break up the submission, and Hangman just kind of looks over at Swerve, gives him a little smile, and then passes out. And that way it allows Samoa Joe to retain the championship and prevent Swerve from winning the title. Uh, borderline for me to accept that, but I can see, I can see that that scenario makes sense. I could see it happening. Um, but, uh, I don't know how much I'd like, I'd like it. I don't know, but storyline, it would make sense. It's an option. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, Samoa Joe, either way, I think Samoa Joe does retain this championship. I don't know exactly how it happens, but I just don't see Hangman winning it right now. Swerve. I just feel like with a lot of new characters coming in here that I think are going to be thrust into the world championship picture that, uh, there's a chance that Swerve gets overshadowed here. Um, and also I don't want him to win the championship. And then it's like, boom, here's Osprey, here's Okada, here's right. Mercedes, here's these other people who are now going to overtake it. Then I think you can keep running with Joe for a little bit longer. Yeah. And Joe's doing such a good job. Uh, you're not losing anything by keeping it on him for a little bit longer. And then if you kind of, you know, I mean, 
WWE has proven that while they sh- maybe should have pulled the trigger on Cody last year, people are just as behind him this year. So if you do it right, if you tell a good enough story, Swerve can still, you know, be right up there and come back around and maybe right. it, it get an even bigger win if it's over like one of those new, if it's over Osprey or if it's over Okada, you know, one of those that would make it even a bigger moment for him. So main event, and we do know that this is confirmed as the main event, last match on the show, uh, Sting and Darby Allen versus the Young Bucks and Sting's retirement match. This is going to be a Tornado tag team match for the AEW Tag Team Championship. Uh, Sting has been doing the media rounds with Sports Illustrated, talking about how he wants to leave it all, all out there in the ring. Um, totally wants to make this a match that people will remember. Darby Allen has said that he's going to do everything in his power to make sure that they stick the landing on this match. Uh, same with the Young Bucks have, have uh, said similar sentiments in the interviews. Um, I mean, I am expecting just all out. I mean, that uh, it's going to be Sting jumping off balconies and jumping <laughs> off all this stuff. I mean, I am expecting a very crazy, wild match. If you're going to go out, go out in a blaze of glory. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he does everything he can. I've seen everything speculated from, like, Darby coming down in the surfer Sting look and all this, you know, all these crazy things, <laughs> which would be funny. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, – I think it's going to be wild. Great. The only question is, and again, one of the things that again makes this pay-per-view so intriguing is, is Sting going to, you know, say, I want to go out on my back. Like, is he going to, to, you know, now with the way they, the way they set it up, um, it just, I, it just makes sense that Sting wins. He gets all the celebration afterwards. You know, they bring out whoever surprise guests they might have, whatever it is. You know, it's a whole big celebration of Sting. That makes the most sense. Everyone's happy. It's Greensboro and all that. Um, but if Sting insists on saying, this is old school, I want to do this, and then, you know, then we can kind of run him off and have the moment or whatever. I can see that happening. So it's going to be enough for me to fall for every false finish and everything, you know, that's going to happen and the way they, they build it and all that. So I'm, yeah, I'm fired up. Um, I would lean towards sting winning, you know, uh, sting and Darby winning. Um, but I could see it going the other way. Um, who, what do you expect for a, after this match, just as far as like what they do for retirement ceremony? Do you have any predictions as far as who shows up for this or how they handle that uh, after the match? I mean, with all the, the build and they knew this has been going on for so long, I cannot imagine, you know, they would not have a lot of, you know, a Lex Luger, maybe if they get him there, you know, you'll have Arn Anderson, you'll have like a lot of these kind of, you know, older WCW, you know, even, you know, back, you know, to like the, even the late, I mean, Ricky Steamboat, what do you, what guys that were around when he was coming up and everything, I think it makes all the sense to, to bring as many of those people back as you can, um, to just celebrate with him. You know, I don't think, you know, you're, I don't think you're going to get a long speech from Sting. I think you'll get a little bit of something, you know, he might have a couple other people talk. I would not hand the live mic to Ric Flair, uh, at all <laughs> have him be there um you know i i i did i did hear what i did uh hear one thing on um on a podcast i can't remember which one it was 
that it would, would be funny during the match would be uh, one of the young bucks pulling the uh, I'm sorry, I love you, like super kick thing on Sting at one point during the match and then Sting getting like, kicked uh, in the face. Yes. Sting getting kicked in the face and then no selling it and, and you know, beating the hell out of fired up whoever sting. it was. Oh yeah, yeah. I like <clears throat> right. You know, you know, pound the chest sting after he takes the shot or whatever, and then pounds it. That would be a, a great moment. Um, uh, you know, that's a I can't again. I would love to give credit to whoever said that, but uh, um, good idea. But either way, I think it, it's going to be a very special. I think AEW does those things right. You know, yeah. those type of things. So I'm, I'm sure it'll be great. Um. So we're pressed for time here, and I know that Dustin and Zach had sent in some questions. I'll just quickly read uh, Zach's predictions for the uh, for the show, and then I'll just quickly go through what we have for Rampage and Collision, and we'll sign off. Uh, but Zach, and we'll get to your guys' questions next week. I think that we we are able to wait a week to answer uh, the stuff questions you have, but I'll just go over the predictions. Uh, Zach says. Fellas, thanks for for the kind of plug of my column. Uh, it's much appreciated. Getting to the important stuff. That closing segment of Dynamite was excellent. Outside of Ric Flair, seeing Sting, Sting descend from the rafters one last time gave me chills, and it was an all-time Dynamite moment. I felt like a kid again. Sorry, Greg. Sometimes you have to turn your brain off and just enjoy the moment. <laughs> I'm I'm with, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, and I, I mean, Greg and I, I think we were both in the same boat here. But I, I understand. Yes, I enjoy the moment as well. Uh, he said, I'm pumped for Revolution, even if I'm going to be a mess by the end of it. Time for some official predictions for Revolution. Let's see which ones of it I get right, gets right uh, of the card. As we know it now, here's a list of my winners. Uh, and I do assume there'll probably be some more uh, buy-in matches that'll be announced on, on uh, Rampage and Collision. Uh, but his predictions are Wardlow, FTR, Will Ospreay, Roderick Strong, Daniel Garcia with a Copeland return. Uh, Brian Danielson, uh, he said that he needs to refine the criteria to challenge for the Continental Crown. Deanna Parazzo, he thinks that the Storm and May story only moves forward if Storm drops the belt. Uh, Swerve Strickland said that it's his time. And then Sting and Darby Allen, Sting retires as champion. So uh, See, that's a perfect that's a perfect example of that when <clears throat> at least three or four of those went against what we were thinking. Which just shows, you know, that the the unpredictability, which is just again, I I love that aspect of this card. Yeah, I think that there's um, you know, this this card is very intriguing. I expect it to do a very good buy rate. I think this is going to be one of their better buy rates. I, I'm not thinking it's going to be two hundred thousand, but certainly I think it's going to be above kind of their averages of a hundred thirty thousand or so. Uh, I think that there's a lot of intrigue from a lot of generations of people to see this, and then it's bolstered up by the undercard is is also, I mean, I think on paper one of the best that they've had. Yeah, for sure. I can't. I can't imagine many of the matches are good you're going to be uh challenged uh you, you know to uh when do you take your bathroom break or whatever you might have to yeah or you might have to go full uh uh new york times square on new year's eve you know diaper wearing or something for some people you know that you just you don't want to get up you can't move you just want to stay right in your seat the whole time maybe i'll have to bring some depends we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll find out here um so Rampage uh, was recorded last last Saturday after Collision. Uh, it has Claudio Castagnoli versus Ruhito, uh, Lance Archer versus Lance Archer and the Righteous Brothers versus uh, Anaya, Luke Langley, and Vought. 
Um, so your your squash match there, uh, and then Riho versus Trisha Dora, and then the All Star Eight Man Scrambling Qualifying Match between Magnus and Matt Seidel. So that's coming later tonight on Rampage, and then you have Collision, uh, which is going to be an eight ma- eight man scramble three way qualifying match between Dante Martin. Pentel Zero Miedo and Brian Keith, uh, Fender Rosa versus Cassandra Golden, Private Party versus Christopher Daniels and Matt Seidel, Mariah May versus Angelica Risk, uh, the Bang Bang Scissors Gang between Anthony Bowens, uh, Austin Gunn, and Max Caster uh, versus The Dark Order, uh, Alex Reynolds, Evil Uno, and John Silver, and then Brian Cage, Roderick Strong, and The Patriarchy, Christian Cage, and, and Killswitch versus uh, Orange Cassidy, Brian. Uh, Tremperetta, Daniel Garcia, and Hook. So that is also going to be on Collision. And I would assume there'll be some more matches announced. Uh, you know, prob- probably for the pre-show for Revolution. Wow, they're not that that Collision does not uh, having the the most <laughs> packed uh, card uh, of them all. I what I really hope is that they focus and do a lot of uh, promos and videos to promote the pay-per-view in between those. You know, many, many, many squash matches or enhancement matches um, just to make things interesting. But, uh, yeah, but, you know, I'll we'll watch them. But, uh, you know, Sunday night is the that's the goal right now. That's that's what I'm fired up for and can't wait. And again, I'm very jealous that you'll be there and I'm very excited for you. And uh, it'll it'll I, I don't think you'll be disappointed. I'm expecting it to be a great show, great time. Travel's going to be a little brutal to get there, but it's worth it for, uh, you know, I, I travel to as many of the, you know, when I can for these bigger shows. And, and so I'm excited to be able to do this. Um, that also segues into a great plug from my Twitter. You can find me at Joel Donnell. As much as I can be posting on Twitter about the event, I will be putting pictures up there and any comments throughout the show. It always varies. To, it always varies when you're in these arenas how much uh, cell service you can get in there. But certainly, I'll be putting as much of that as I can. And Greg, I would assume next week we're going to have so much to talk about. Following up on Revolution, we're going to have a new kickoff for Dynamite. Uh, there's a possibility Okada could be a full-time member of, Dyna- of AEW by that point. Uh, and then we're going to be pretty close to getting to a big business show where Mercedes is going to be coming in. So a lot of exciting stuff to look forward to. Uh, so please, guys, continue to listen uh, to our show here. Uh, thank you so much for listening throughout this show as I as I battle a little bit of a cold here. But I appreciate you, Greg, uh, carrying us through this, uh, carrying the workload of a lot of the talking here. You've done a fine job, as always, of, uh, you know, directing this this thing. It's a, it's a pleasure talking to you every week. Uh, I love it. I'm so glad that we got the opportunity to do it. Um, and, uh, you know, even though uh, Zach had, you know, is telling me to turn my brain off, I still do write the hits and misses uh, for uh, P- uh, for Dynamite every week on PWTorch.com. Uh, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at GAK17. And, uh, yeah, have a great time out there. Thank you so much, Greg. Uh, I'll, I'll be keeping you updated on anything that I'm seeing out there. Uh, but we'll get back to those uh, back to those email questions next week uh, from Dustin and Zach. And if you guys want to add anything more to our mailbag, you can send us an email at alleliteCC at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much, and we will talk to you next week. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us today for this special call on Leap Day with Tony Khan to discuss the upcoming AEW Revolution event this Sunday night in Greensboro. So those of you who have been with us before, you know the housekeeping items that we're going to address here real quickly. 
in the interest of time and giving as much opportunity to everyone to ask a question, we kindly ask you to refrain from asking two-party questions, and we're asking you to keep your questions focused best as possible on AEW Revolution. And as Robin mentioned, please make sure your phone is unmuted. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Tony for some opening thoughts. I'm going to open the lines. Tony? Hey, Jim. Thank you very much. Hey, everybody. It's great to be with you today. I'm very excited about AEW Revolution. I think it's really cool. We're here four years exactly after the original revolution to celebrate what is, I think, one of AEW's greatest events and what has become one of the great traditions in pro wrestling. Hope everybody's having a great Leap Day. I hope Leap Day William has not visited any of you, and I look forward to answering your questions now on Revolution. Thank you very much. All right, Tony, thank you very much. So let's get after it. We're going to start today with Jim Barcelona from the Miami Herald. And after Jim and Tony connect, Dominic D'Angelo from Ad Free Shows will be next. Jim, you're up. Uh, thank you all. Just obviously just talking about Sting, what he's meant to everyone. And just this big event. It's AEW Revolution, but it's also AEW Sting. <laughs> so just what are your thoughts of Sting and what, he, what he's meant to pro wrestling and what he's meant to AEW? It's a great question, Jim. I appreciate you leading off with that. Uh, I'm very excited about AEW Revolution, first and foremost, being Sting's last pro wrestling match and Sting's retirement. I think he's been a huge part of pro wrestling for my entire life. Uh, he's been a hero since I was very young, and when Sting came into AEW, I was so excited, and uh, this is exactly where I hoped we would get uh, setting up an incredible retirement match for Sting this Sunday at Revolution Pay-Per-View. He's an incredible pro wrestler and an incredible man, and giving him the send-off that he deserves these past few years has been really important to me. And now uh, having a match for the weekend with high stakes, a personal rivalry, a great story, it's going to be a tremendous show, and it's got uh, certainly – something that nobody will ever forget, and that is Sting's final wrestling match, teaming with Darby Allen versus the Young Bucks. Uh, Sting is really important to all of us in AEW. I think he's not only beloved backstage, but he's a hero to a lot of us, including myself personally, and I cannot wait for this weekend and specifically this Sunday in Greensboro for AEW Revolution. I think it's the perfect place to pay tribute to Sting's great career in the Greensboro Coliseum. It was where... Sting really first arrived on the national map in 1988, and it was very fitting that he had his final appearance last night on TBS. I thought that went really well, and we had a great go-home show last night, and certainly Sting coming down from the rafters one last time I thought was a perfect way to cap off the final dynamite before Revolution and the final dynamite of Sting's career and a great way for Sting to make his last appearance ever on TBS, the Superstation. After 37 years on TBS, and I've been saying 36 years on top, really going back to that match in 1988, but 37 years uh, having most of your career on one network and being so identifiable with it, it's pretty special and pretty rare, and it's befitting the great career and the great person that we have in Sting. Thank you very much, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Dominic D'Angelo from Ad Free Shows is next, and he will be followed by Steve Fall from WrestleNews.co. 
Dominic? Tony, can you hear me okay? I can hear you. Great. Thank you. Oh, hey, awesome. Hey, okay. Looking forward to Revolution this uh, this coming weekend and uh, obviously Sting's send-off, big send-off. Um, wanted to kind of get a question about Jennifer Pepperman and the hiring of her and what that means kind of for the creative structure backstage. Would you have a kind of a game plan in place for her and implementing her into the program from a weekly basis, and how will that kind of change the process of AEW moving forward? Well, it's another person in what I think is a good process. I love collaborating with the people in the in the office, and uh, Jen is somebody who's got a really great wrestling mind. I was in the office very late last night working, I think, uh, you know, we have a different crew of people that come week to week to Dynamite versus Collision sometimes, and, and some people make it to both shows, and Jen has been at, at both shows with me, and along with a, a great group of people. Last night I was in the office very late until the wee hours of the morning, making sure we had a lot of details figured out. Jen was one of the people I had there with me, along with uh, Will Washington, Brian Danielson, Jimmy Jacobs, Mike Mansuri, and a lot of other people. Uh, we have a really strong group of idea people and a great group of coaches, and it's really nice to have somebody like Jen uh, who has experience in pro wrestling but also a lot of experience in television. And, you know, it's it's the same process with um, more ideas and more people added into it. And Jen's been fitting in great. A lot of the people who had worked with Jen previously – had really great things to say about her and my visits with her. I really liked her a lot. And she was very excited about what she'd seen in AEW. And, uh, you know, she's, uh, fitting in great and I like working with her a lot. And so it's great to have another person uh, with great ideas and contributing, uh, in the room. And, uh, she's learning, uh, AEW, I think day in and day out more and more and more. And that, that is tremendous. You know, we, we've, got, we've done a lot of shows now, and she's been doing a great job catching up on it. And I think also she brings a lot of knowledge of pro wrestling and television from outside AEW. And she's a really great person to have, I think, in that room in that process with us. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Dominic. Steve Fall from WrestlingNews.co is next, and Steve will be followed by Joel Torres from Contralona. Steve? Yes. Hey, Tony. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Happy leap year to you, leap day to you as well. Um, this weekend, Revolution is taking place in North Carolina, and born and raised in North Carolina is Camille, a former NWA Women's Champion, and free agency seems to be something you're very interested in. Has AEW been talking to Camille about coming in, and possibly could she be there at Revolution this weekend? Well, Camille's a great free agent in wrestling. Uh, never say never, but certainly Camille is uh, somebody we've scouted and somebody that I personally have a lot of respect for, and I've, I've enjoyed her matches and uh, have enjoyed when I've met her. So... Uh, she would certainly be a great fit in AEW at any time, and uh, certainly she's somebody we would definitely keep under consideration here. There you go, Steve. Thank you very much. Joel Torres from Contralona is next, followed by John Alba from Triller TV. Joel. Yes. Hi. How are you, Tony? Um, I just want to know, first of all, 
congratulations uh, with everything that's going on with AW Revolution. I know this is going to be a very special night for you. I um, just want to know what will be Sting's status with AW after his last match? Will he still be part of the company at some ca uh, at some other capacity? Uh, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that question one more time? Sure, sure. Uh, just want to know what will be Sting's status with AW after his last match this Sunday and Will he still be part of the company at some other capacity? Got it. Yes. Uh, Sting, I hope, will remain with us in spirit forever. I believe he'll be affiliated with us. Last night, he joked he's going to come back and throw on the headset, and I would love that. I think we would all love for Sting to come back and be a part of the show, and uh, he's always welcome here. You know, one thing about Sting, when he did this comeback – I think especially the hardcore fans of wrestling who uh, know all, all the inner workings and details uh, of the wrestling industry may appreciate this. When Sting came back in 2020, he did not need the money. Uh, Sting is very, very well off and has earned a lot of money in his career and is taking care of it very well. And he's really, really... Uh, a great person and he's made great investments and he does this because he loves it and he loves the fans and he wanted to have a great run in wrestling. And for these past three years, uh, that's exactly what we've done uh, a little over three years since he first arrived in AEW and revolution will mark exactly three years uh, since his return to the ring. So uh, for me, I would love to have Sting back in AEW anytime, and I know he said he would like to come back. Uh, we won't uh, hold him uh, or force him to come back at any point. Uh, it's not like we've locked in dates where he's definitely going to be there or, or contracted him. I think it's going to be really nice after three years uh, of pushing himself and having the kind of longevity in his career that all wrestlers could aspire to and dream of. Now is a great time for Sting to take time for himself and his family after this. And whatever the result is Sunday, I think Sting can take pride that he's had the most incredible final run I can ever remember so far. And uh, we're all very excited about the final match Sunday. And then after that, I think we'll have to see, see how Sting feels. And uh, I'm going to leave that to him. But he knows the door is open and he's welcome in AEW forever and we definitely want sting uh representing AEW. i hope for as long as there is an AEW, because to me he's our greatest legend and he's been a part of so many of our greatest memories in the short history of AEW, and he's been in my lifetime a part of so many of the greatest memories in all of pro wrestling in recent decades and that's why i think he deserved that send-off so much that he's getting right now thank you thank you joel John Alba from Triller TV is next, followed by Samantha Shipman from the Daily DDT. John. Hey, thanks so much for making the time. Tony, I know it's a busy time. The combine going down. I can't wait to see your 40 time next year when you get a chance to uh, get out there and sprint. But uh, no, I, no. I, 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 I'm confident you could put out a good show there. But uh, I want to ask, you know, Revolution's, kind of AEW's big Q1 event 
that you guys have every year. So looking ahead at Q2 and Q3, do you have any projections as to when there might be some sort of an update as to media rights deals domestically? And what's the current outlook on that, especially as we've heard talks recently with WBD and Paramount and some other entities as well? It's a great question. Uh, It's going to be an exciting year for us. I think first and foremost, we've got AEW Revolution, as you said. It's a huge event for us. Uh, and now four-year anniversary of the original revolution. It's crazy. This is the fifth revolution, and it really represents the fifth time through the full pay-per-view cycle for us. And I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, and speaking of cycles and, and meteorites and, and all of these great things, it's a big year for us out of the ring. It's going to be really important for us to uh, – keep performing, keep having strong results. You know, we're coming off AEW Dynamite as the number one show on cable last Wednesday. We've had a really strong year uh, and strong results, strong set of finishes. We've done really well in comparison to other major sports leagues. Several times this year, AEW on Wednesday nights actually beaten the NBA straight up and in the demo. And uh, last week, Wednesday Night Dynamite, beat everything on cable and even including the network shows was the number two show on all of television on Wednesday. Uh, Really, really strong results. I think it's exciting for us going into revolution this weekend to feel like there's a lot of great momentum around the company, but also uh, important to the company, the fans, and really everyone that works in AEW. We've got a huge opportunity coming up. AEW's media rights, Uh, will be negotiated this year, and we're in a great position. I think it's really exciting for the company and the fans going forward, and we've really been a great performer for TBS and TNT over the years, and it's a great relationship. And certainly when you look at the history of wrestling, I think it's very fitting. We're celebrating the great career of Sting and the history of Sting, specifically on TNT and TBS, the Superstation. I really love that and these facts are not lost on me and also I'm a very loyal person and I really am very grateful for the opportunities we've gotten here and I think it's a great place to be Warner Brothers Discovery and it's changed a lot in the time I've been there you know while we've been AW and there's been consistency and I've been at every show and uh, you know the management has not changed wholesale you know there's been uh effectively consistency within the management of AEW and there's been a lot of changes in Warner Brothers Discovery in these years and right now I think changes for AEW have been for the better. We've been able to expand our programming. It was under this administration led by David Zagloff and Bruce Campbell and the great team there where they've expanded and it was under uh, Warner Brothers Discovery and under the TV networks led by Kathleen Finch and Jason Sarlanis, where they gave us this great opportunity, expanding the AEW weekly programming from three hours to five hours, uh, adding to the original scope of our deal that consisted of two hours of AEW Dynamite plus AEW Rampage and adding in Collision. Some of the best wrestling matches, some of the best moments, and some of the best shows in all of wrestling in the past year have been on collision. The show has 
brought in new audience and has given TNT a lift on Saturdays, and it's really given us a boost too. It's made it possible to do all kinds of new things, including with five hours, much easier and much more accessible to put on something such as the Continental Classic, which is one of my favorite things we've ever done in AEW, and still offering the, the great stories, still having the great matches uh, outside the tournament, and being able to then step out of the tournament and do something as special as building the Sting's final match in these recent months. It's very, very cool, and the opportunities have only grown and expanded under this management at Warner Brothers Discovery. So it's a, it's a great relationship that's only gotten better and better with the new management. And uh, I'm very optimistic about this year for AEW. And to be honest, looking forward, there's a lot to look forward to this year. There's a lot of really exciting things coming. I'm very excited for Revolution and the shows after that. I can promise you I have something very exciting. I'm, I'm very excited about for the fans in Atlanta. And, of course, people are buzzing about big business in Boston with good reason. And then we're heading to Toronto after that, and that's going to be tremendous as well. So, really, a big slate of shows coming up on tour, uh, a big year ahead for AEW. But first and foremost is this Sunday Revolution. I think we're all very, very pumped about that. And uh, that'll really give us a lot of great momentum, I truly believe going into the big rights renewal year for AEW and all that entails for us going into the media rights renewals. Thank you for asking. Thanks, John. Samantha Shipman from the Daily DDT is next. I'm going to follow Samantha with a write-in question from Kimmy Sokol from the Pop Break. But first, Samantha. Hi, Tony. How are you? I am great. Thank you. I'm doing tremendous. Thank you very much. Good. Uh, looking forward to uh, being in attendance for uh, Revolution this weekend. And so I wanted to go back to um, Jennifer Pepperman and her uh, experience that she brings. And so I've not obviously we've noticed uh, lately there's been a renewed focus on the women's division. So did that push you to hire a woman in creative to kind of uh, give her perspective on uh, women's stories? I think we were really excited about what has been happening. I've, I've really enjoyed working with the women in AEW and Ring of Honor this past year. And there is that vibe. Not only is it a vibe on TV, but it's a vibe in AEW and ROH. The women's locker room has never been more energized. And there have been great matches. There's great stories happening in AEW and ROH. And I feel like the depth of talent has gotten stronger and stronger. Independently of that, trying to expand our team, I really like the people I work with, and we've added new people. Um, I mentioned a lot of the people in the office. You know, we have a great group of coaches. I love working with uh, the people on the coaching staff, including Sanjay, Sarah Stock, Pat, Buck, QT, Rocky Romero, uh, and so many others uh, on their individual ideas, on the matches they're working on, and then uh, taking a big view of the company. Of course, uh, we've got a bunch of great people with creative minds. You know, I mentioned I was in the office very late last night for hours after we shot Dynamite and Collision, just going through ideas and uh, spending time together drinking coffee with 
Will Washington, Jimmy Jacobs, Brian Danielson, Mike Mansuri, and now uh, I thought Jen Pepperman uh, adds a lot to any conversation she's in. And whether it's women's wrestling or men's wrestling, Jen Pepperman's got great ideas, and they are they're not limited to any one match or any one story. I think she's got a really great mind, and now she spent years in wrestling. You know, I love the world of soap operas, and I think it's fascinating the work she's done. She's an Emmy Award-winning filmmaker, and it's a very different medium, soap operas, but obviously there are similarities, and it was uh, a unique hire when she joined pro wrestling, and now she's learned the wrestling business. There are a lot of wrestlers that have great experience working with her, and so she was a popular hire. I think she adds a lot. Um, she would add a lot to any women's story. She can add ideas, but she also adds ideas to men's stories. I think any aspect of wrestling or television that you're working on, Jen, can be insightful, and uh, she's very additive. So I wanted to bring Jen in to help just in, with AEW all across the board, and I think she's been doing a great job. So uh, really excited about what we're doing across the women's and men's wrestling in AEW and uh, very excited to add another great person to the team backstage with Jen. Thank you. Thanks, Samantha. Here's a, I've got a write-in here from Kimmy Sokol, which I'll read here in a second. Amy Nemedy from WrestleJoy, I'd like for you to be on deck after Tony answers this question from Kimmy. This weekend, Daniel Garcia will have his first title match on pay-per-view. How excited are you for his match against Christian? That's an excellent question. I love working with Daniel Garcia. I think he's done an incredible, incredible job uh, building himself up and evolving since he arrived in AEW. I'm looking out at Daly's Place right now, and uh, it's been, uh, I have to say, uh, feels like... Uh, it's been even longer, but it's been about three years since Daniel Garcia started working for us. And he first came in in Daly's place, and uh, I thought they would bring a lot to each other. And I paired up Daniel Garcia with a team that had been known as 3.0, and they'd been known as Everize, and they'd been known as 2.0. And I thought they would be good as 2.0 with Danny because I didn't want people to think that he was in the 3.0. And if it's at 3.0, there's three of them. I thought people would think Daniel's in the tag team. Uh, I really love Daniel Garcia. I think he's uh, such a fantastic young man. And I think he's got a great passion for pro wrestling. And he's really, really smart. He works really hard. He's incredibly likable. And he has a very bright future. I think the sky's the limit for Daniel Garcia. And what's really cool is if you look each year in AEW, he's evolved and gotten better. And when you look how young he is and look how he's built himself up, built his body, built a character, developed his mannerisms. He's had a connection with the crowd for years. And the crowd really cares about him. And wherever you go in the country, uh, I find he has that connection. I really am impressed with Daniel. And it's funny, we were in Huntsville last night, and 
I was, again, I mentioned I, I stayed late after just to kick ideas around and brainstorm and hear out anybody who had any thoughts or anything we could work with. And I was telling a group of people, like I said, late at night, I think uh, you had, uh, um, like I mentioned, Brian Danielson, Will Washington, Jim Pepperman, Jimmy Jacobs, Pat Buck, uh, and a number of people stuck around. And I was telling people, you know, we did this house show here. And I think it's it's a funny memory. We had been in Huntsville, Alabama for a house rule. And the main event was Daddy Magic and Daniel Garcia versus Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen. And uh, I remember the fans in Huntsville started chanting, you're a wrestler, Daniel Garcia, on a house show. And first of all, it, it, I was impressed with Huntsville, Alabama at the house show that you know, this is for a house show crowd throughout the night. They show they were very smart fans that watched the show very intricately and understood all the details of the show and the timing of it when they did it. Um, you know, it, it made me smile. And uh, going back to Huntsville for Dynamite and Collision last night with Daniel Garcia on the verge of his first pay-per-view title shot with Daniel Garcia working uh, a big main event match on Collision out there with All-Stars swimming in the deep end and having Daniel Garcia out there with some of our biggest names, including Christian Cage and Orange Cassidy. It was very, very cool. And uh, I really, really think the sky's the limit for Daniel Garcia. He would be a great champion in any company, and in AEW he would be a great champion for any title. I think the TNT title is all about uh, pro wrestling. We've seen... So many great bell-to-bell wrestlers hold the title, uh, and I believe Daniel Garcia fits that tradition like a glove. And Christian Cage is also somebody that has been a great champion. He's done it a different way than anyone else who's ever held the title, but he has established himself as a great champion. I also have an incredible amount of personal respect for Christian Cage, who I believe might be the best wrestler in the entire world. And I'm glad that people have come to see that. There was a point maybe 18 years ago where I felt like there was momentum starting to build in that direction. And there have been various times over the years where I felt like there was, uh, that was becoming a trendy thing to say. But over the past couple of years, I don't think it's just a trendy thing to say. I think fans all over the world have seen it, that Christian does it as well as anyone and he is certainly, as we stand, I believe, one of the great villains in pro wrestling and also one of the great bell-to-bell wrestlers. And I think that's a great match, Christian and Garcia. I can't wait to watch at, at Revolution. And I think either one of them, Daniel Garcia or Christian Cage, is a great TNT champion coming out of this pay-per-view. And uh, as I've said, I think Daniel Garcia brings a lot to AEW, and I love working with him. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kimmy. Amy Nemedy from WrestleJoy is next to be followed by Bill Pritchard from WrestleZone. Amy. Hi, Tony. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, thank you, Amy. Perfect. I've got a new setup, so I wasn't sure. Um, so I wanted to talk about Swerve Strickland, Hangman Page, and Samoa Joe. Now, Swerve and Hangman have been circling each other for the last six months pulling each other into these pits of darkness with Swerve breaking into Hangman's home and threatening his son. And Hangman, in this pivotal moment at Dynamite in Phoenix, 
going into a complete descent into madness against Swerve Strickland. It seems like at this point, Hangman wants to take everything from Swerve. That said, they've got this incredibly imposing, intimidating, dominant force of a champion in Samoa Joe. So while their rivalry seems to be culminating at Revolution, it's culminating around a championship match with one of the hardest hitters who's nearly undefeated in his run in AEW. And as far as I can tell, neither of them have ever faced Samoa Joe in a singles match or in this kind of match. I think the only time they've actually mixed it up with each other was on February 21st. Um, so I wanted to know if you could talk about the stakes of this match, the odds for Joe, Hangman, and Swerve going into this match, and how this all came together as they clash at Revolution. Well, it's a great match. I'm really excited about all three wrestlers. They're all at the top of the profession, and that's why it's a great world title match. Uh, it's hard to pick a number one contender when you have two great wrestlers that are red hot and a rivalry that's so red hot and, frankly, evenly matched like Hangman Page and Swerve Strickland. We've seen Hangman's, as, as we said, descent into madness. Uh, a bit, and Hangman playing mind games now, uh, and Swerve pushed Hangman too far, possibly. But the fans have really come to love Swerve, and Swerve's red hot. It's a really exciting time for him, and it's been fascinating to watch the change in those two great wrestlers. We've established two great number one contenders, and we have the most, the most professional, the most dominant, the most, uh, just really uh, the, the most high-quality champion you could have ever hoped to ask for in Samoa Joe. And we're very fortunate to have a great world champion like Samoa Joe. And what we have right now is this exciting three-way picture that has been built up for weeks and weeks. Uh, it's been tremendous television, I think, watching Swerve and Hangman trying to outdo each other and seeing how personal the hatred between them is, while Samoa Joe has established himself as this fantastic world champion. So far, AEW has been on a really hot run in recent months. Since the start of 2024, and I think we ended on a great note with the Continental Classic and a lot of the great things we did to end 2023. And going, going into 2024, I felt like we had a lot of positive momentum. And Samoa Joe walking into the new year as a world champion has been fantastic. And now, as you said, it's this first-time match, first-time encounter, first-time uh, hangman or swerve is at a chance to challenge Samoa Joe for the championship or even really get into that kind of a singles match type situation with Samoa Joe. As you mentioned, the first time they were all out there together for a match was uh, that six-man tag match, that trios match uh, that was really exciting and put us on this path to revolution. I think it's a great world title match. There's so many exciting things to look forward to on Sunday's pay-per-view and certainly uh, – one of the top things, one of the top matches I'm looking forward to is the three-way championship bout, 
Samoa Joe versus Hangman Page versus Swerve Strickland should be a great show, and I think that's going to be a great match. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Amy. Bill Pritchard from Russell's Zone is next. Paul Berry is on deck from Newsweek. Bill? Hi, Tony. How are you? Hey, Bill. Doing great. How are you, man? Doing good. So I wanted to ask about the Meat Madness match being pulled from the card. I know last night you said that uh, you were dealing with some injuries um, and you were putting the match on ice, but three of the advertised names are in the new Scramble match. So I was wondering if you could talk about how big the original match was supposed to be or if you could talk about some of the injuries that you're dealing with in, in that match. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I first thought of the Meat Madness match, and I'm glad you asked. I first thought of the Meat Madness match and that it would be something really fun for the fans based on the the fan feedback and the, something the fans brought to the show. I think it's one of the great things about AEW is I try to listen to the fans, and and if I'm not hearing you as the fans, then I'll keep listening, and sooner or later you're going to get through to me. You can always believe that. And uh, I'm always trying to listen to what the fans are saying, and certainly, literally, the fans were telling us during All Out, which, you know, this past year's All Out was one of the best shows we've ever done in AEW, and is considered an all-time great pay-per-view, and there were a lot of great moments throughout the show, different moments, special moments, and one great thing about the card was Miro versus Powerhouse Hobbs and the re- the reaction they got. And it exemplified the spirit of that card. People weren't sure what to expect going into AEW All Out. It was the first year we had done All In and All Out, and the card really delivered and ended up being a tremendous show. And everyone who came to the show or ordered it, the feedback was overwhelmingly positive, and it was one of the best-reviewed wrestling shows of the year and one of the best-reviewed shows we've ever had. And one of the great moments on the show was Miro versus Powerhouse Hobbs and the Meat Chance from Chicago. I don't think these were just isolated to Chicago. Then we went on the road, and and in other big man matches, we had them. Uh, So we had uh, Meat Forever Chance during Miro versus Hobbs at All Out. And then we had uh, a great match on Collision. I think it was in December. And it was Brian Cage versus Keith Lee. And it was on a really strong episode of the show. I believe it was around the Continental Classic. And this was a great show that had lots of good matches on it. And then also a match outside of the tournament, Big Men, Keith Lee versus Brian Cage. And the crowd really enjoyed that. Um, Now, I wanted to put a lot of the big wrestlers uh, and get the crowd fired up for a multi-man scramble, a, a meat madness match. And I think the crowd would enjoy it and it would be a lot of fun. But some of the wrestlers I was hoping to use, including some of the wrestlers I just named, who would be, you know, the Miro versus Hobbs chant uh, and the Keith Lee versus Brian Cage. Right now, you know, they're two great wrestlers in AEW. Just an example, Miro and Keith Lee are both out. Neither one is available. Um, and some of our big men being out injured, I wanted to have the depth in the field to do the match I'd really originally envisioned, and I think people would enjoy that, but it's a great opportunity. I think we have, we had named Hobbs, Archer, 
and uh, of course Wardlow in the card, and and with Hobbs, Wardlow, and Archer, they're not only three great big man wrestlers, but they've all had great experiences in AEW. They've all been in great big main event matches and uh, wrestled on the TVs and the pay-per-views, and uh, I thought having them involved would be great, but uh, since we didn't necessarily have the the depth and uh, we're missing some of our big guys to do the Meat Madness multi-man scramble, I think you know it's a great opportunity. Also, we have some other great stars and rivalries in AEW we can showcase. Um, so instead, I made it an all-star scramble, and it should be a fun match, and when we get all of our big men healthy at the same time, I still really want to take the meat madness concept off the shelf and get it out of the freezer and uh, thaw it out. Uh, but until then, uh, I put the meat madness on ice. Thank you, Bill. <clears throat> Excuse me. Paul Berry from Newsweek is next. Paul will be followed by Dave Meltzer from Wrestling Observer. Paul. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, thanks for the time, Tony. Um, you mentioned Sting's left us with a uh, ton of great memories. Sting was a huge part of my fanship of professional wrestling. I wanted to ask you what your first memory of Sting, where he really left an impression uh, on you, and what it was about his work that connected with you personally. The first WCW show, thank you for the question, the first WCW show I ever saw was Super Brawl 1, and my parents made dinner, I believe it was a Sunday night, and it was in the middle of 1991, and I was eight years old, and the first match I actually flipped on uh, was Dustin Rhodes versus Terry Taylor, and I had seen Dustin Rhodes before uh, wrestling on TV, and uh, you know, I'd grown up watching the WWF until uh, for the first few months and then started to expand and watch other wrestling. And so when I was eight years old, the first WCW show I ever saw was Super Bowl one. And uh, the, the match I had really been looking forward to on the show from reading magazines and reading about the people in the match was the Steiner brothers versus Lex Luger and Sting. And, Sting, Lex Luger, and Ric Flair got tons of write-ups in the wrestling magazines that I would read in the supermarket, but I hadn't seen them yet. And I was pretty uh, articulate on the satellite when I was a kid and proficient at finding just about anything. So uh, I was able to find Super Bowl one and find a, a stream of that. And uh, then... Uh, I was so excited when they showed, the, and if, you, if you've seen Super Bowl one and you, you remember the Steiners versus Sting and Lex Luger, you might remember there was a video right before the match with an instrumental song playing, showing highlights of Sting and Lex in the Steiners. Uh, and then they went out there and had something unlike I'd seen, which was this like really hard-hitting babyface tag match, and it, it was one of the best matches in 1991, I think, and it left a lasting impression on me, and it was Sting and Lex Luger versus the Steiner brothers, and I wanted to see more of all four, and in particular Sting. And then later that year, uh, there was, uh, of course, a Clash of the Champions show that was one of my favorite shows. It featured Sting versus Rick Rude, and 
Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco versus Dustin Rhodes and a replacement mystery partner. Barry Wyndham was out injured, and the replacement mystery partner was Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Uh, and uh, then uh, I remember I've said this to Sting before, my sister's fourth birthday uh, when I was nine years old. Uh, at my sister's fourth birthday, uh, I was really getting yelled at and pulled away to go uh, spend more time at the celebration of my sister's birthday and not watching the Sting and Ricky Steamboat versus Rick Rude and Steve Austin match on TBS uh, on the Clash of the Champions on January 21st, 1991. Uh, lots of memories like that. I'm a big fan of Sting, and uh, he's been a huge influence in my life and really the ultimate pro wrestling hero. He's one of my all-time favorites, and I'm really excited that we'll be able to pay a great tribute to Sting this weekend and give Sting uh, a great final match and hopefully uh, have this three-year run from Revolution 2021 to Revolution 2024 really be a special memory for the wrestling fans. And, of course, I want it to be uh, something special for Sting, first and foremost. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. Okay, we got about 15 minutes to cur- curfew, so Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer is next, and after that I'm going to follow with a write-in question from Lyric Swinton from SNME Radio. Dave. You hear me? Yeah, hi, Dave. Yeah, okay. Um, Hey, Tony, so I was just wondering, um, can, can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah, I hear you great, Dave. Okay, great, great. Yeah, I was wondering, like, as far as, like, your uh, projections – you know, as far as the economics of the company for 2024, I mean, do you have any, are you kind of close to a number of pay-per-views you're planning this year? And as far as profitability and everything, you know, how close do you feel you can come this year? And, uh, and um, you know, what kind of goal, what kind of goals do you have basically for, for 2024? It's a great question, Dave. Thank you. Um, well, first of all, on pay-per-views, last year we expanded the calendar very successfully. You've written probably more about that than anybody, that it was really a highlight of our business this past year, expanding the pay-per-view calendar the past few years. We launched AEW in 2019, and through the first full year, uh, that first pay-per-view cycle was really four events, and we successfully added a fifth fifth event in 2022 with Forbidden Door, and that was the biggest debut of any of our events at that point. And... uh, Then this year we expanded that calendar again and went from five events to eight. And again, it was very successful. Uh, There was, I think it was a a very proper amount of saturation. It was uh, well-saturated, appropriately saturated. And uh, at eight events, we saw record results and the additions of All In, our biggest event ever, uh, that would then for it being AEW's first all-in, it would be the biggest debut of any of our events now. Uh, and then a great debut for Wrestle Dream, uh, an event I felt really strongly about and have a personal connection to. And it was really special to me and a lot of the wrestlers in AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling for us to go out there and for AEW to pay tribute to the late, great Antonio Inoki, uh, without whom I really believe we all might not be here right now. And then closed the year with AEW World's End, which was an incredibly successful pay-per-view event. So going to eight events, it worked really well. 
I believe we have the capacity to increase. I think this year, I would, if 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 you force me to say, uh, to use an expression I, I use in the back a lot, if you force me to say, if I had to say, uh, I would probably, and I and I don't have to say, so, but but I but I, I want to be open and honest. I could see this year being uh, nine to ten, and I think nine is probably a good sweet spot. Uh, but it feels like that's about the right number, and. I don't want to make a, a, a huge change or increase, but definitely eight was incredibly successful, and I don't want to do anything totally different, but I do see an opening for nine probably and maybe ten, but nine feels like a great number for us right now, particularly when you also consider I put on three Ring of Honor streaming events annually. That puts you with AEW doing really our strongest nine possible events plus these three events that have a great tradition. I think they were ROH's three strongest events, which is why I've kept them in the rotation. And, and now those are different. Those aren't really pay-per-views. Those are streaming events. Um, but uh, I do think it's going to be a great year for us. If we, uh, you know, we, we, we do get a, a bump annually. So our rights fees are better in 24 than they were in 23. But the really big bump uh, by, a lot more than that is going to be in 25. And I, I'm very excited about the upcoming media rights renewal deal. That will uh, really put us over the top in many ways into, not in the, into going from being a milestone business that has accomplished things that will live in the history books and uh, a great business to being what I think will be an uh, sustainable business for many, many years to come, and that will be the new media rights we do, which will really uh, be the biggest source of revenue we've ever injected into the company. And we've grown our revenues year over year, uh, and as we've expanded, I think it's been a really, really, really uh, bold and a confident and I think now justified in the boldness and confidence of these moves to expand the pay-per-view calendar and expand uh, our TV production. The pay-per-view calendar, it's in the pudding. The numbers are there. You can see it's really worked for us. We do some of the best events in pro wrestling. It's a great value, I believe, the AEW pay-per-views. And I've kept the cost of the events uniform over the years, and when you plop down that money on that weekend to buy the big AEW pay-per-view event, I think we have a very good history of delivering great shows, and now the business track record is there, too. Uh, Our events have done very, very well. And this past year, in expanding the calendar, we really grew, again, not only grew the number of events we did, but really grew the revenue, and that proved to be a great move. We also made a, a huge, huge leap by adding AEW Collision. I believe that risk we took and that uh, leap, uh, and, the, and like I said, the boldness and confidence it takes to do those things, I think that has been realized in terms of the quality of the show, and it's been realized in terms of the fact that, as I mentioned earlier, I think in the past year on AEW Collision, we've 
had some of the best moments, some of the best matches, and some of the best all-around two-hour shows in all of pro wrestling. And I think the biggest opportunity lies in the media rights renewal, uh, where Dynamite, Rampage, and Collision will all be getting huge, huge increases, I can say for sure. And now going into that and having, like I said, that confidence, uh, I think 25 is going to go down as the year uh, where AEW really took the leap from being a startup company to being the established challenger player in pro wrestling for decades to come and establishing all that in basically five years, that was the five-year plan. And sitting here in, in the same place where we started it five years ago in Jacksonville, Florida, and being here in the same office looking at Daly's Place right now, uh, it's really, really exciting and it's really rewarding to look back at that. So, yeah, I, I think that media rights renewal coming up, it, that's going to be the key thing on the TV side and on the pay-per-view side. Most of the expansion has happened, and it's been successful. And now, you know, I think we've—it's like uh, it's like with a pizza. Like you know, we found most of the places we're going to put the cheese in the pizza. It'll be years before they find more places to put cheese in a pizza. But so I'm not going to try to stuff a lot more cheese in it. But uh, uh, I do think, pay-per-view wise, we've kind of found a good a good place. But I think also by expanding, it's it's really helped us. So thank you. As you can tell, I love talking about the business side of it too, uh, almost as much as I love talking about the wrestling side of it and having uh, Sting's retirement match at the Greensboro Coliseum on Sunday. So thank you, Dave. Thanks, Dave. So we're going to finish with a write-in from Lyric Swinton from SNME Radio. And if there's time, Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics. So, Tony, the question from Lyric uh, is we've seen a big renewed focus on the women's division as of late, including the impending AEW big business. So can we expect to see a women's face of the revolution match or possibly a women's continental classic tournament? Oh, these are great questions. I think uh, we're building that depth in the division and getting to where we're having better and more consistent matches. It took us years and years as a company to get to where we were able to have uh, the continental classic because the quality of the wrestling and the depth of the wrestling has gotten to, I think, an all-time high on the men's side. Now on the women's side, it's really taken that lead, too. So it's about having the consistency of the matches and uh, the quality of the wrestling week to week and that consistency. And I think we've been getting better and better there. So we're taking great steps. Uh, very excited about some of the great matches we've had on TV lately and some of the great wrestlers. I think Chris Statlander and Sky Blue last night was an excellent match. And I thought that uh, really uh, on Rampage, a very underrated match was Anna Jay versus Mariah May last week. I think we've got a great match coming up with Rio versus Trisha Dora. And there's a lot of great things happening in the AEW women's division and in the ROH women's division. We have a great world champion in Athena. Athena continues to deliver on ROH great matches and uh, a great tournament field and exciting matches happening right now in the ROH women's TV title tournament. I think uh, when the consistency is there where we can put out good matches week to week to week, I would love uh, to be able to uh, 
expand those match types and try that in the women's division, which is getting better and better each week. And I think everyone's seeing that. And just based on the questions I'm getting, basically every question is acknowledged. The, the matches and uh, the shows around the women's division have gotten better and better. So it's really exciting times there. And for all of us in AEW, a lot of exciting things happening for everyone and, and definitely for the women's division in AEW and ROH right now. Thank you, Lyric. Okay, with three minutes to go, the final question and the time for the answer uh, will be Brandon Thurston from Russellnomics. Brandon? I, I was wondering if you, if you could tell us who the members are of AEW's discipline committee and do those members have experience in, in how to handle uh, sexual misconduct claims that they come up? Uh, well, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, um, we have, uh, you know, trained uh, professionals on the discipline committee, um, including uh, two attorneys and Brian Danielson. And Brian, they're different backgrounds, and that's the idea, to have uh, people from different backgrounds and different experiences in uh, wrestling, which is certainly its own unique business with its own unique set of challenges. And I think I want people that have common goals for the company and for the well-being of the wrestlers and also people that share high integrity. And the attorneys that I chose and Brian Danielson, I think that's a really strong group of people. Uh, and they would be looking out uh, against all misconduct claims. And we've tried to train them up uh, to do their best, I think, to really, whatever the situation is in terms of misconduct, to do whatever it takes to ensure the well-being of the wrestlers, which is first and foremost here above everything else. Thank you, Brandon. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. And that'll do it for today. Tony, do you have any uh, closing thoughts? Yeah, this one is uh, very special to me. I think it's the most special event in the history of AEW for me personally, and it's the first time uh, for me uh, it's ever felt so personal to have Sting's last match and have it be in AEW and to have, you know, that's, that's amazing to begin with, but now having spent over three years with Sting and having Sting wrestling in AEW regularly for these past few years and getting to know Sting and getting to know Steve behind the paint. He's an incredible person and he's one of the all-time greatest wrestlers and we're a young wrestling company, AEW. I think the fact that Sting has come to AEW and had a run that will all be, always be remembered by his loyal fans, and a run that uh, will culminate in a final match that I think will be a great match, and a show that top to bottom includes matches, and in particular, I think really eight matches uh, that have had a lot of established television story, build, a lot of great matches that help get to those eight matches, and then also within the scramble, some rivalries that I'm looking forward to showcase and some stars, 
Uh, it should be also a very fun match. And uh, I think top to bottom, it's been our best built pay-per-view. Really, for weeks, the focus has been on these matches and stories. And I think it's been one of our best builds to a pay-per-view. There's something about revolution. It feels like there's always a lot of excitement and buzz going into this event. And the first revolution in Chicago is one of my favorite events we've ever done. We've had great revolution shows all over the country, coast to coast. But never before have I been more excited for revolution or for any show as I am for this Sunday. And thank you all very much for joining for the media call. Thank you, Jim and Robin and Mandy for helping organize this. Uh, and I'm very grateful to all of you and really looking forward to Sunday's revolution pay-per-view probably more than anything we've ever done. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Tony. Uh, thanks everyone. Uh, we're now at the end of our time. So as normal, we're going to be distributing an audio recording to all attendees shortly. Uh, so with that, we thank you again for being part of today's call and obviously for your faithful coverage of AEW and the entire world of professional wrestling. So with that, we're looking forward to seeing you Sunday night in Greensboro for Revolution and elsewhere throughout uh, 2024. Have a great leap day. Cheers.